following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. I'm Monica Jones, host, and um, here is my co-host, um, Victor Gouveia. He does the technical stuff for me. I sure couldn't manage without him. It seems like you forgot my name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're lucky because I forgot my own earlier. So. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I hope you like what you hear this afternoon. And if you do, um, hit the like button on whatever podcast thing you're on. Subscribe uh, and on Twitter, Facebook, and um, anything else you might be hooked up to. And uh, hit the notification button. And um, so... I guess we're ready to get started. I've got a lot lined up for you this afternoon, and I hope I've made some good choices for you um, to make you a nice, delicious Sunday. Um, the first one is from a thriller. It's called The Clock, and The Clock didn't last very long. I'm not sure why that was. They just did a few shows, and then they kind of just decided to take it off the air but a lot of people liked it and uh, I've heard a lot of older people say they wish that uh, it had stayed on so um, anyway uh, sit back and enjoy Spangler's Attic Good evening all I'd like to tell you of an interesting theory in regard to time there are some who say that the past is never gone, that it still exists on a different plane. Everything that has happened in the world continues to be, although mortals are unable to see it. Let me put it this way. You're riding in a motor car along a one-way street. You pass a magnificent palace which you greatly admire. The street makes a turn, and your car turns with it. Now the palace is out of sight. You can't see it anymore, but it still exists. It's still there on the one-way street, only you're not permitted to go back for another glimpse. The past, like the palace, has not disappeared. You merely haven't been gifted with the ability to return to it. Or <laughs> so the theory goes. At any rate, suppose I told you I could take you into the past. Suppose I could flip back the years like the pages of a book once read and give you a second reading. What period would you choose to return to? The golden age of Pericles in Greece? The Napoleonic era? <laughs> you can't make up your mind, huh? Then let me make the choice on your behalf. I don't think you'll be disappointed. London, 1900. The gaslight and the hansom cab. Cobbled streets and staid old English houses. Mysterious and romantic. And to complete the picture... We'll choose a very foggy night to visit Loring Square. 
we're here, Lily. Oh, help me, Don Becky. Of course. Thank <laughs> uh, Here you are, Kelly. Much obliged, Governor. Now, come along, Lily. Oh, it's so good to be home, Frederick. I'm glad you decided to keep your house. I've always admired it so. Oh, well, it's your house now, my darling. <laughs> and you could do with it as you see fit. Now, where did I put my keys? Uh, here we are. Frederick? Uh, yes, my dear. The cabbie's still there. Eh? Hey? Why, so he is. Something you want, cabbie? No, no, I beg pardon, Governor. Come on, off we go now. I why was he staring at us in that way? <laughs> I haven't the slightest idea. He, he may have possibly had a nip or two, eh? <laughs> now, put your arms around my neck, sweet. Here, on the street? I'm going to carry you across the threshold. <laughs> Come on, it's the custom, you know. <laughs> oh, darling. <laughs> there you are, Mrs. Sangler. You can now consider yourself officially married. <laughs> put me down, darling. You know... I love you very much. And I love you, Frederick. Welcome home, Mr. Sanger. Huh? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Flint. This is your new mistress. How do you do, ma'am? How do you do? I hope you'll find the house in satisfactory condition, ma'am. I've been scrubbing and cleaning it for over a week now. It looks splendid, Mrs. Flint. I did everything but the cellar, Mr. Sanger. Oh? I wanted to wait until there was a man in the house before I went down there. The place is so dark and damp, it gives me the creeps. I'll put your things away, ma'am. Is your luggage outside, sir? I'll pick them up myself, Mrs. Flint. It's quite all right, sir. I can manage. She's rather odd, isn't she? Odd? Her manner, I mean. <laughs> Mrs. Flint is rather superstitious. But you'll get used to her after a while. I've had her for only a month, but I find she's very competent. Oh, I'm sure we'll be good friends. Do you want me to bring these bags up to the north room, sir? The north room? Why not the master suite? Oh, when, sir? I was thinking that the mistress had preferred... Bring the bags to the master suite, Mrs. Flint. Do you understand? Just as you say, sir. Why were you irritated just now, Frederick? Oh. Well, well, there are times when Mrs. Flint shows less than her usual amount of tact. Joyce and I had always occupied the master suite. I, I suppose Mrs. Flint imagined that you might prefer the change. Joyce was my friend, Frederick, as well as your wife. And then there can never become a cause for tact between us. I mean... I know what you mean, Lily. And it makes me very happy. Joyce was a wonderful woman. I never thought I'd find an even finer one in you. Let's look round. It seems so long since I've been here. Well, nothing's been changed. I've left it all the way it was when when Joyce died. Poor Joyce. It must have been horrible. I'm sure she never knew what happened. It must have been awful for you too, Frederick. It's something I'd just as soon try to forget completely. Yes. This picture of Joyce on the piano is very nice. I'm sorry, I meant to get rid of that. Get rid of it? Why? Isn't it obvious, Lily? But I don't... Well, I do! I, I'm sorry, Lily. I didn't mean to snap at you. Richard, darling, don't you realize how I feel about Joyce? You have no reason to be upset. I'm not upset, Lily. Now, let me have the picture. Give it to me, please. Very well. I've put this away for good. 
The bags are in your room, sir. Thank you. Is there anything I can do for you, ma'am? Not right now, thank you, Mrs. Flint. Mrs. Flint, did you know the first Mrs. Spangler? Oh, no, ma'am. I've only been here a month. Oh, that's right. Mr. Spangler just mentioned it to me. She must have been a lady of taste, ma'am. This house was even prettier when I first came here. Before the master started to get rid of all her things. But he told me he hadn't changed anything. Oh, he's done a lot of changing. That picture over there is the only thing that... Why? It's gone. Yes. Mr. Spangler just took it away. Peculiar, isn't it? What is? The way those things upset him. I'll never forget what a rage he flew into when I started to go through Mrs. Spender's trunk in the attic. The first Mrs. Spender, that is. He shouted at me and told me to mind my... Mrs. Flint, I believe you have some work to do in the kitchen. Yes, so I have. Excuse me, Steve. Talking is another one of her habits which could stand improvement. (laughs) What was she saying to you just then? Why, she was telling me about... About what, Lily? Nothing, Frederick. Nothing at all. Come in. Good morning, ma'am. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Flint. I brought your breakfast. Oh, that was very sweet of you. Mr. Sander left the house over half an hour ago. He told me to give you these keys. Oh, they're the house keys? Yes. They're all there, except the key to the attic. Well, where's that one? Mr. Sander keeps it himself. He does? Why? That's something I never had the right to ask him, ma'am. Someone's at the front door. You can leave the train, Mrs. Flint, and answer it. Well, who can call it this hour of the morning? Yes? Is uh, this Mr. Spangler's residence? Yes. Is Mr. Spangler at home? No, sir, but the mistress is in. The mistress? You mean Mrs. Spangler? The new Mrs. Spangler. Oh, I see. Uh, I'd like to talk to her, if I may. My name is Markham. Come in, sir. Thank you. You'll have to wait a bit. The mistress is just getting up. I'm in no hurry. I'll tell her you're here, sir. I'd appreciate it. The name was Markham, sir? Inspector Markham of Scotland Yard. Oh, Inspector Markham of Scotland Yard. Good morning. Good morning, Mrs. Spangman. I'm sorry to disturb you. That's quite all right. What can I do for you, Inspector? I was hoping to see Mr. Spangler. I thought it might be wiser to discuss this matter with him. He won't be home until this evening. Well, in that case, perhaps I'd better relay my message to him through you. What message, Inspector? It's rather awkward to discuss it under the circumstances. I hope you won't take offense. Oh, I'm sure I won't. I uh, presume you know the details concerning Joyce Spangler's death? Yes, I think I do. My husband told me about it. Just what did he tell you? Why, she was in a horrible train wreck several months ago. The Scottish Express to Glasgow. The wreck occurred, that's true. Many people were killed, some of them practically unidentifiable when the bodies were recovered. And then there were some, of course, which were never recovered. I understood that 
Mrs. Spangler's body was one of those. The wreck occurred as the train was crossing a bridge. The river is a swift one, and we surmised that some of the victims might have been carried out to sea by the current. That's the way I understood it. According to Mr. Spangler, his wife was aboard that train. She was on her way to visit an aunt in Scotland. Yes. Of course, we only have Mr. Spangler's assurance that she was actually on the train. Just what do you mean, Inspector Markham? Joyce Spangler is now considered to be legally dead. It has come to my attention, however, that there is a possibility she may not have been aboard that train at all. Good evening, Patrick. Everything go well with you today? I... I had a visitor. Actually, he wanted to speak with you. Oh, a visitor? An Inspector Markham from Scotland Yard. And, uh... Just what did he want? I... I think you'd better see him, Patrick. It's rather important. But what did he have to say? He... He told me there was a possibility that... Joyce was still alive. He told you that? Of course, I know it's ridiculous. How does the eminent inspector from Scotland Yard reach that rather startling conclusion? Doesn't it upset you? Upset me? Why? Well, we are... I mean, you and I... My first wife is legally dead, Lily, and you and I are legally married. The inspector from Scotland Yard is an idiot. Frederick, you can hold the Joyce's dead, can't you? Naturally, I can. There's nothing to be upset about. The most idiotic blunder I ever heard of. And Inspector Markham's superior shall hear about it from me. He also asked me a few other questions I couldn't answer. In regard to what? Joyce's estate. What did he say about Joyce's estate? He wanted to know how much money she left and to whom the house belonged. Before her death, of course. I see. I told him I believed the house was yours... And that as far as I knew, Joyce left no money. It was only a guess, but I was right, wasn't I? You were wrong, Lily. Wrong? It's something that's too obvious to hide. Besides, what have I to hide? You mean... I inherited the house and 50,000 pounds in cash when Joyce was killed. Do you find it unique to return to the past, to roll back the years and witness an episode in the lives of two people? Yes, two people who existed over 50 years ago in London, while Victoria was still the queen. And for all we know, according to that theory of time I mentioned before, those two and their drama of life and death may still exist today. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Sanger. There's a Mrs. McIntosh here to see you. Mrs. McIntosh? So home. Yes, ma'am. This way, please. Thank you, Candy. Good evening, Mrs. Stangler. Good evening. I guess you don't know who I am. I'm afraid I don't. I'm Joyce Stangler's aunt. Oh. Oh, yes. You live in Scotland, don't you? She's mentioned something about me then. Aren't you the aunt Joyce was going to visit when she was... when she was killed? Yes. Poor child. She was on her way to spend a week with me in Glasgow, or so the story goes. I beg your pardon. 
Is your husband at home, Mrs. Spangler? No, he's not. Good. I was hoping I wouldn't have to meet him. I've no use for the likes of Frederick Spangler. Mrs. McIntosh, haven't you forgotten that you happen to be referring to my husband? I haven't forgotten it. And I'm saying it for your own good. Why are you here, Mrs. McIntosh? I understand there's a picture of my niece in the house. A picture I should be pleased to have, if it's all the same to your husband. If you ask him for it, perhaps he'll give it to you. I have no intention of asking him. I'd like you to do that and send it home to me, if you will. What? I want no part of your husband in any shape or form, as the saying goes. If you please, Mrs. McIntosh, you need to be offended. Perhaps you don't know as much about Frederick Spangler as I do. Perhaps you haven't discovered yet what poor Joyce discovered. Discovered? What? What kind of a man he is. Joyce was afraid of him, Mrs. Spangler. She lived in deathly fear of the man. She told you that? She didn't have to tell me. I could see it in her eyes when she spoke of him. And sometimes, when she'd be alone with me in Scotland, I'd hear her shrieking in her sleep. And the things she'd say would make her blood run cold. She'd deny it later. And now I know why. I, I don't believe a word of this. The more fool you. If you want to treat yourself to a living death, you can... Stop it, don't say another word. I've got bitches in my house. Very well, Mrs. Spangler. Suit yourself. There's just one thing I'd like to add, and you'd do well to keep it in mind. Two days after Joyce's body was supposed to have disappeared in that train wreck, I received a letter. A letter? From whom? From Joyce. And you know what she wrote? She wrote that she'd changed her mind. And that she wasn't coming to Scotland after all. Lily, my dear, are you asleep? No, Frederick. I'm still awake. I won't turn on the light and disturb you. Did you see the inspector? Yes. What happened? Nothing. Well, what did he say to you? It was merely routine. Frederick, you're holding back. Don't talk like a child, Lily. It irritates me. I'm not holding back a thing. The incident is over. Let's forget it. It isn't altogether over, Frederick. What do you mean? Mrs. McIntosh arrived in London today. What did she want? A picture of Joyce. She'll whistle for that picture before she gets it from me. Why don't you send it to her, Frederick? Because I'm not interested in doing Mrs. McIntosh any personal favors. Is that clear? You've never talked like that before. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. Terribly sorry. I... Oh, Lily, forgive me. Please, don't kiss me. Very well. Just as you say. Frederick. What is it now? Mrs. McIntosh said... She said... Well, out with it. She told me she'd received a letter from Joyce... Just after the accident. A letter? The letter said that Joyce had changed her mind. That she'd decided not to go to Scotland after all. So that's what the inspector was up to, blast him. The old owl must have shown him that letter. What does it mean? Nothing. Joyce had changed her mind. But I persuaded her to go anywhere she'd planned. I see. You believe me, don't you? I asked if you believed me, Lily. Of course. 
Of course I believe you. Well, then there's nothing to worry about. So long as you believe me. Nothing in the world to worry about. Go to sleep now, Lily. Pleasant dreams. I'm leaving your service, Mrs. Spangler. You are? Why? Because I can't stand this house any longer, that's why. But I don't understand. I'm sorry, I can't give you notice. I'm leaving tonight. It's so sudden. Oh, I'd hate to tell you the reason why I'm on my way. I, I just hate to tell you. I think you owe me that much of an explanation. You haven't heard the gossip? I haven't heard what, for heaven's sake? They're saying, Mrs. Spangler, the first Mrs. Spangler was mad. Oh, no. Everyone in the neighborhood's been talking about it. They're saying this is a house of death, and the poor Mrs. Spangler's ghost haunts the attic room. And you believe that? I've reason to believe it, let me tell you. And Scotland Yard has reason, too. They'll be finding out a thing or two one of these days. I only hope it's not too late for you. Be quiet, do you hear? Lily! Oh, I was just telling the mystery. I heard what you told us. Well, there are my sentiments, Mr. Sander. Be quiet. Magic. Get your things and leave this house before I drag you out myself. Don't you dare to lay your hands on me, you hear? Don't you dare. Oh. Everyone is gossiping, are they? Mrs. Flint isn't responsible for what she says, Fritchie. They think I'm a murderer, do they? Please. Well, let her go. I'm glad to be rid of her. I'm glad to be rid of them all. Now I can feel less spied on. I prefer being alone. And you prefer being alone. Don't you? Don't you, Lily? Yes. Of course I do. For some, the hands of the clock move quickly. But for Lily, each minute seemed an hour. It's ten o'clock, Lily. Yes. I think I'll turn in. Are you coming? No, I, I'll stay up a while. Aren't you tired, Lily? No. Don't lie to me, Lily. Lie to you? I don't trust you, do you hear? I don't trust anyone anymore. You're all spies and you're all against... What are you saying, Frederick? Lily... Is it the attic that bothers you? The attic? Is it because I keep the key to the attic and you've never been inside? I... I haven't even thought about it, Frederick. You're lying again, Lily. No, I'm not. I said you're lying! <laughs> Next time you lie to me, my darling, I'll close my hand when I strike you. How dare you! <laughs> I'm your husband. I'm getting out of this house. Oh, no, you're not, my dear. Let go of my arm. First, I want to satisfy that curiosity of yours. What do you mean? You and I are going to visit the attic, Lily. Now. Here we are. Shall you open the door? Or shall I? Go, Frederick, please. Stay where you are, Lily. Step inside, my dear. 
I light a candle. There you are, Lily. Look around the attic. I want you to make a thorough search to reassure yourself. I have nothing to search for. No? Tell me what you know, Lily. Tell me what you know, and I'll tell you what I know. sharing her wealth. Then, believing the police were almost on top of you, you tried to blame it onto me. You mean you married me just to prove I killed her? I happen to have loved my wife, Lily. Mrs. Spangler's intention to visit her aunt and the train wreck were lucky coincidences for you, Lily. But not lucky enough. Apparently, I made a very bad mistake, Inspector Markham. Yes. And the gallows, Lily, were made for people like you who make mistakes. Over 50 years ago was a long, long time. And yet, couldn't it have happened today? And now I'll take you back again from out of the past into the present. My theory of time was an interesting one, don't you think? But the story of Lily Spangler was just that. A story and nothing more. And it stands to reason that if the story is fictitious, the theory is a fraud as well. And yet, if you ever get to England, you might visit the Tower of London and consult the execution records. In the file marked November 1900, you may possibly find the name of Lily Spangler. Talk will be heard again next week, same time, same station, written by Lawrence Clee and starring Hart McGuire. You heard Coralie Neville and Richard Davies as Lillian Frederick. Also in the cast were Dorothy Dunkley, Nigel Lovell, Winifred Hindle. The Clock is a Grace Gibson radio production directed by John Fall. I have to ask, 
What? I have to ask. Was it me or was that story just improperly written? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it's just, it's just so, so, so bad. (laughs) I mean, am I the only one who thought there should have been a prologue? Yeah, there should have been something. It's just like it kind of started in midstream. Yeah, I mean, why did she kill her? I mean, how did she get the body if it died in the train wreck? Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's so much they left out. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, do we know if it was a movie at all? I don't think so. It might have been, but I don't think so. Wow. <laughs> if it was, I'm not sure it would have been a real good one, but I gotta tell you the writers in nineteen fifty weren't all that great. <laughs> Maybe some of them were. I mean, after all. Well, I mean not on the clock. I can see why Perry Mason canceled. Uh, you know, I mean well, yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> but hey, but now they did have some good episodes. That just Maybe it wasn't one of their best ones, but they did have some fairly good ones. Well, hopefully future episodes will be written better, I guess. Now, see, you just hurt my feelings. I picked that one out especially for you. (laughs) I have to call it like I see it. I'm sorry. And and, and, I have to say, I I didn't see them all that well. You you didn't have to call it at all, Mr. Honesty. (laughs) True. That's true. No, I'm kidding. But, um, well, the thing I liked about it was it kind of fooled me. You know, I thought it was going to end up that he killed her, but it was the other way around. Yeah, I mean, that's the big surprise at the end. I mean, the fact that he, I thought he was one of those abusers that yeah we talk about so much on the channel. And it turns out he's not. It's her. Still, it was quite elaborate just to catch that one. Yeah, killer. yeah, it was. They went through and they went all the way around the bend just to. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean. Today's detectives would have just put her in a box and questioned her until she gave in. <laughs> but, you know, seriously speaking, I figured you would catch that. What part? That the, 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 the whole thing about how it was put together or wasn't put oh, together, how you, yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I, You're was, right. Wait, I was waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> oh you okay never let it be known that i got one off on you <laughs> but so, any, huh i think we should move on to the next one you think i think they're ready for it um next we have coming up um dick tracy uh, by the time I came along, when I was about three or four, I started seeing Dick Tracy in cartoons and on television. They had the Dick Tracy show. Gosh, I'm old, folks. Well, uh, you know what? The, I, I, the only exposure I had to Dick Tracy was the big movie that starred Warren Beatty. But before that, I was seeing Dick Tracy in the newspaper comic strip. In syndication, yeah. And I mean, uh, I never, 
I have to say, when I first heard this this episode, I never expected Dick Tracy to sound like that. I always expected him to have a more baritone voice. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I guess it's weird the pictures you you get of you get people. when you yeah yeah. But anyway, oh, <clears throat> what was the name of this? Episode Mr. Pat IT. goes overboard. Yeah, Pat goes overboard. I this was this was a pretty good one. And um anyway, y'all kick back and enjoy it. Calling all adventure fans, calling all Dick Tracy fans. Stand by. Dick Tracy is on the air. The makers of Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice, the two tempting, delicious, nourishing cereals that are shot from guns, now bring you another thrilling Dick Tracy detective adventure. Big guns, hear them? For the next time you have a big dish of crisp, nourishing Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice for breakfast, remember the sound of the big guns, because those two delicious cereals are actually shot from guns. Sun-ripened grains of nourishing wheat and rice are loaded into the guns, and then these little kernels of grain are exploded to eight times their normal size. That makes them look different and taste better than ordinary cereals. That special Quaker process makes puffed wheat and puffed rice specially easy to digest so that you get trigger-fast food energy more quickly and easily. And you need lots of quick food energy if you want to be as fast on your feet as your friend Dick Tracy is. And here's a good idea. Puffed wheat and puffed rice are two different delicious flavors. So ask Mother to get a package of each at the grocer's. And then you and Mother and Dad can have Quaker puffed wheat for breakfast one morning and Quaker puffed rice the next. That really gives you variety, doesn't it? So look in the pantry today to see if one of those famous red and blue packages is there now. If it's Quaker puffed wheat, ask Mother to get a package of Quaker puffed rice. And if it's Quaker puffed rice, ask her to get some Quaker puffed wheat. And then you have both for a delightful change that thousands of wide-awake boys, girls, and grown-ups enjoy every day. And remember, fellows and girls, there's another secret code message at the end of the program today. So be sure you have your pencil, paper, and code book ready. Dick Tracy has been trying to protect Dryden Small, a well-known Egyptologist from dark forces which seek his death. Small has received strange warnings, and several times his life has been attempted unsuccessfully due to the daring efforts of Dick Tracy. Both Dick and Pat are convinced that Small has kept from them the real reason for these mysterious attacks. In our last episode, we heard how a strange message, seemingly written by an invisible hand, had appeared on the wall above Small's bed. Let's see what the invisible hand is writing. Your hour is at hand. Your end is near. The black pearl of Osiris must shine again. Yes, yes, and look there on the floor. It's another scarab, Tracy, another scarab. Yes, so I see. Another symbol of death and destruction. Why don't you do something? But it's no use. You can't fight the supernatural. They told me there was a curse upon the tomb of Tutankhamun. I should never have gone into it. 
All the others who have been in it have come to sudden death. Oh, stop it. Stop it, Small. There's nothing supernatural here. I know, but Dick, the writing on the wall, we saw the message being written. Yes, sir. And now look, it's beginning to fade. Ghost writing, that's what it is. The handwriting of a ghost. Oh, come, come, Small. Pull yourself together. This isn't the work of a ghost. The man with a yellow face, whoever he may be, paid a visit to this cabin in our absence. How do you know he was here? Why, it's simple enough. The scarab on the floor, he left it there. The handwriting on the wall, he put it there. No, no, no. He might have put the scarab there, but the handwriting, that couldn't have been done by anybody human. We saw the message being written and there was no one here. Of course there wasn't. The message was written before we got here. We saw it when we turned on the bed lamp. I don't get it, Dick. That. Put your hand over that lamp. About six inches away. All right. I've got it there now. What do you feel? Mm, nothing but heat. Ah, precisely. Heat. The heat from the lamp. Do you recall ever having used heat in connection with invisible messages before, Pat? Oh, why, sure. Say, I get it. This message was written in invisible ink and couldn't be seen until the heat of the lamp brought it out on the wall. Go to the head of the class, Pat. That's exactly what happened here. The man with a yellow face wrote his message in invisible ink. Small came in, turned on the lamp, and in half an hour or so, the heat from the lamp brought the message out. There's your supernatural for you, Mr. Small. You, you make it sound simple. It is simple. If the rest of this case were as simple as that handwriting, we'd have no problem. But, but it's not simple, Small, because you choose to make it difficult. I choose to make it difficult? Yes. You refuse to tell us all you know about this. You refuse to tell us what we've got to know of where to protect you against the man with the yellow face. There's a definite reason why you're being followed. There's a definite reason for these attempts on your life, such as the one in the dining salon tonight. There's some reason for these scarabs and that message on the wall. Now, what is it? I'm sorry, but I don't know any more than I've told you. And I've told you once, and I'll tell you again, that you're not being entirely truthful. Now, look here. I want you to tell me the meaning of that message about the Black Pearl of Osiris. Yeah, that was a queer one. What is the Black Pearl of Osiris anyway, Dick? I don't know about the Black Pearl, Pat. I do know, however, that Osiris was a god worshipped by the ancient Egyptians. And that even today, there are certain secret societies which still worship him. Hmm. Your knowledge of Egyptian history is remarkable, Tracy. Well, unfortunately, I don't know quite enough. But you know what I want to know, Small. What is the Black Pearl of Osiris? I demand an answer. I, I don't know, Tracy. I swear it. If I knew, don't you think I'd tell you? I, I, I feel rather faint. I, I wonder if one of you would mind going up on deck with me, just for a little while. Well, uh, I, I had a date with a... All right, Pat, you'll have to forget your date. I've got to see the captain at once. You'll have to stay with Small. Keep close to him on deck and don't let him out of your sight. Okay. I hope I get a chance to explain to that girl that I didn't mean to disappoint her. You feel better now, Small? Yes, Yes, Mr. Patton, the air is doing me good. Looks like we're going to have a fog. You can see whispers of it floating past the binnacle light up there. Yes. You know, Small, you really ought to come clean with Tracy. Patton. Yeah? That, that man leaning against the rail. He, he just looked this way, and his face... Well, what about his face? I, I'm not sure, but it, it looked yellow. It, it, it... Now, take it easy. Don't start getting jittery. Don't begin seeing a yellow face in every passenger on this ship. Look, look, he's moving away from the rail. He's disappearing into the fog. What was that? Something dropped at our feet. Yeah, I heard it. Let me see. Here, here it is. 
What? Why, say, it looks it looks like a scarab. A scarab? Fatten, it, it's another warning. That was the man with the yellow face. Yeah, yeah, we'd better get down and get to your cabin. I'll get in touch with Tracy. No, 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 no. Not back to the cabin. I'm afraid to go there. Let's stay in the open. Okay, okay, but i better get Tracy here as quick as I can. Come on over by the light. What are you going to do? Well, Dick's in the captain's cabin. I'm going to send him a message. A message in code. things that have been happening on this ship of mine. Well, I'm sorry about the need for searching the ship, but you must understand, Captain, that at any moment, one of your passengers may be, well, put out of the way. Mm, that isn't what I referred to, Tracy. There are other things that are wrong. Such as? Well, have you heard about what's been going on down in the hold? The hold? Mm-hmm. I know. What's happened down there? One of the crew, a fellow named Weeks, was found about an hour ago, totally unconscious. Unconscious? Yes, lying in the door of the storage room. Not a strong fellow. As a matter of fact, he has a weak heart. That's why we have him down there. All he does is check the books and little odd jobs like that, you know. Yes, yes, but what made him unconscious? Well, according to his story, Tracy, as he was approaching the storage room, he noticed the door was open, which was unusual. As he began to investigate, he suddenly saw, standing in the doorway itself, a strange-looking figure. The next thing he remembers, he was lying on a cot, and the ship's doctor was working over him. He's not given to seeing things, is he? I don't think so. He's a stable, dependable fellow. At any rate, he's never seen things before. Well, in that case, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to investigate that storage room. Now, about the search for the man with the yellow face, Captain. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about that, Tracy. We we don't seem to be making much progress. Matter of fact, Tracy, we're not making any progress at all. Yes, yes, I was afraid of that. Oh, excuse me. Come in. There's a message for Mr. Tracy, sir. Oh, give it here. Where did you get this? It was given to me by a gentleman down in Decay, sir. Thank you. Excuse me, Captain. Yes, certainly. It's a code message from Pat. Hmm? Prisoner 20, 21, 12, 16, 7, 10, 18, 22. Uh, will you excuse me, Captain? I've got to join Mr. Patton on deck immediately. Uh, nothing wrong, is there, Tracy? I don't know. That's what I want to find out. And I've got to find out fast. Well, I'll go along with you, Tracy. I've got to go up to the bridge, and this will be on my way. Glad to have your company, Captain, but let's hurry. Uh, we can take this companionway here, Tracy. It leads down to deck A. Fine. Deck A. I don't see Mr. Patton, do you? No, but this fog is getting thicker. Mm-hmm. He may be down at the other end. Come on. Well, I'll leave you here, Tracy. Man I... overboard! Man overboard! Yes. Man overboard, Tracy. Get down there as fast as you can. I'll see the watering the boats over the side. Right. Man overboard! Man overboard! Hey, hey, you there. Where is he? Oh, he's there. He's thick. Man overboard! Man overboard! Man overboard! Oh, small. What's happening here? The man with the yellow face. Patton's horse with him. Yes, yes, what happened? Overboard. Patton, uh, Patton was thrown overboard. What? Pat overboard? Wait, Tracy, what are you doing? Why are you taking off your coat? Why do you think? I'm going after Pat. Stop, don't. Another man overboard. Another man. Another... Tracy, they'll both be found. Patton and Tracy, too. Will Dick save Pat? Or has a detective's friend been swallowed up by the black waters in the night? Dick will save him if anyone can. 
But now the makers of Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice, those two popular, delicious, quick energy-giving cereals that are shot from guns, invite you to attend another meeting of the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol. Here comes Dick Tracy Jr. now. The 20th meeting will now come to order, patrol members. And let's be sure we all have pencils and paper ready to take down today's secret code message. Are you going to give Dick Tracy's friends the message that Pat sent Dick today, or have you a special secret patrol message, Junior? Oh, both, Mr. Quaker Man. First, I'm going to repeat the message that Pat sent to Dick Tracy. Good. Are you ready, patrol members? Here it is. Prisoner 20, 21, 12, 16. 7, 10, 18, 20, 2. Once more, Junior, to make sure everyone got it. All right, Mr. Quaker Man. It's prisoner 20, 21, 12, 16, 7, 10, 18, 20, 2. Fine. And now what's the special patrol message, Junior? Here it is. Are you all ready? It's Buffalo. 21, 12, 14, 10, 12, 4. 10, 20, 13, 3, 6, 10, 20, 13, 3, 21. 1, 8, 14, 5. Better repeat that one too, Junior, I think. Okay. Ready, everyone? It's Buffalo... 21, 12, 14, 10, 12, 4. 10, 20, 13, 3. 6, 10, 20, 13, 3, 21. 1, 8, 14, 5. Well, that sounds very important, Junior. It is. It's a special order for patrol members. But how about the fellows and girls who aren't members and can't decode the messages? Well, we can't very well give away the patrol secret. Of course not. I can't imagine any real wide-awake boy or girl not joining, can you? Not unless they don't know how to join on the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol. So maybe you better tell them just in case there are some fellows and girls listening in for the first time. Good idea. Well, here's how you can join the patrol and get the secret code, the patrol pledge, and the membership badge so you don't miss any of the fun. Just tear the tops off two packages of Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice or one of each. Put them in an envelope with your name and address printed on a plain piece of paper and mail them to Dick Tracy, Box L, Chicago. Then you get in on all the secret detective activities, too. And Dick Tracy sends you a secret code book, a patrol pledge, and a special badge, all free. Tell Mother how those nourishing, delicious cereals are shot from guns to make them specially easy to digest. So ask her to get you some Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice at the grocer's. Calling all adventure fans. Calling all Dick Tracy fans. Stand by for another exciting Dick Tracy adventure tomorrow at this same time. That is all. A 
Okay, I was waiting for that to kind of shut up before, <laughs> or quieten down a little bit before I decided to come back on the air. But, um, you know, I could just imagine me as a young'un if I had been caught up in all those codes. Uh, I, I didn't have a braille writer. I didn't have a tape recorder. I wouldn't have had any way to write all those numbers down. Even if I had gotten all that stuff, I couldn't have read it. But uh, So you can tell it wasn't made for the blind. Yeah, like <laughs> so many other things. But anyway. <laughs> well, I think, I think we should tell them. Uh, for anyone who is interested, the seeker code is based on the alphabet. Each, each number represents a letter in the alphabet. So uh, 20 was T. And 26 uh, was Z. And, and, and 21 is U. And 10 is, or J is 10. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, I mean, those who are blind know the number sequence because of the Braille alphabet, but it only goes up to 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does, but the rest of it, I mean, you know. The rest gotta, of it is. All you got to do is count. <laughs> uh-huh yeah that's right that's right so if you guys want to figure it out you can simply get the numbers or play this video back or or the mp3 anyway uh i just uh i had to i have to ask you this victor how much more baritone do you want his voice I think it should be lower and more I, I don't know it just it just seems like he's an average man but I've always thought of Dick Tracy as someone bigger I mean considering all the bad guys he goes up against uh, a yeah. prune face and and um, oh, I forget his other name uh, but you know they always had weird names and they always seemed bigger than life and and i just figured dick tracy would have that type of voice now mind you this was based on what i saw with my eyes back when i could see um others may feel differently because they've never seen him well when i was little uh by the time well when i was in the early 60s and i'd see him on cartoons uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how he looked, but you know they had somebody that uh, did the voiceover. You know, like Mel Blank used to do on all the mm -hmm. cartoons, and mm -hmm. you know he sounded much higher pitched then. And really? So <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad to hear that the radio voice was you know deeper than that. Yeah, uh, yeah. At least the way I remember it, I think I'm remembering right. But I, you know, he's not one that I paid a whole lot of attention to. Right. Uh, and, uh, but no, anyway, it's understandable. I mean, nobody. It, it all depends on what you're, what you enjoy listening to. Yeah. Um, but you know, I couldn't. I, you know, the the point was that you know I couldn't see him, so I didn't get to see how big he was supposed to be or anything. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, for those of you who like a little romance in your life, and who doesn't? Not yet. Oh, not yet. Uh, <laughs> no. I thought we were doing the other thing last. 
or am no, I missing 21st. one? Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't get any romance out of this one, guys and gals. Uh, <laughs> Victor, what would I do without you? Don't know. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Shall I could have played the role. I could have played the romance one first, but I just thought, uh, you know, keeping in 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 uh, in in rhythm with the detective stories. Yeah, just wanted to blow my mind. That's all. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. <laughs> You're out to get me. <laughs> well, um, not exactly out to get you. <laughs> I mean, I've got you. You're on the channel already. Are you in to get me then? Um, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, next we have coming up um, one that I've always liked, uh, but I like the dragnet type things. And that's kind of what this is. It's 21st Precinct and it's stories uh, that are based on um, oh police work in New York City. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Klein. Well, who got bitten? How? Four. Where's the dog? You are in the muster room at the twenty-first precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st precinct. All right. You just wait right there in the emergency room. Yes, right there. I'll have an officer come over. Yes. Right away. 21st precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River, wouldn't know if you asked them if they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. 21st Precinct, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. It was 3.55 p.m. when I came into the precinct house for my night tour, which would keep me on the job until 8 the following morning. As I signed the blotter, Sergeant Burns, who was filling in as desk officer, told me that acting superintendent of buildings of the department was in the house making a routine inspection. After I turned out the platoon, I went upstairs and found the acting superintendent of buildings on the third floor. I called his attention to the cracked plaster in the hall ceiling on that floor and to the fact that during the last winter the radiators failed to heat the floor comfortably. On the way down, I showed him the worn condition of the stairs from the second floor to the back room, and as we came out into the muster room, I told him about the plumbing difficulties in the cells. Well, thanks, Captain. Uh, do you have any idea when these repairs will be made? Well, there's a lot of work to do, Captain. There's nearly 100 buildings in the department, and most of them need work, lots of work. Oh, yes, I understand that, but some need attention sooner than others, don't you think? Oh, yes, yes, some do. That's why I'm making the inspection. Well, this uh, muster room, for instance, it hasn't been painted since 1941. Did you realize that? Hey, Captain, you know I'd like to do everything. I'd like to do it right away, but there's been only so much money appropriated. Well, it's been a pleasure, Captain. I'll sign the blotter and get on my way. 
A little bit behind schedule. I still have to visit the 23rd this afternoon. Where were you? Oh, uh, Mr. Balney wants to sign the blotter, Sergeant Burns. Step on around the back of the desk, Mr. Balney. Right over here, Mr. Balney. Well, thank you, Captain. Uh, that one's got whiskers. I used to use it myself. Ringing on time. What's doing, Sergeant? Oh, nothing much, Captain. Except that young fellow over there is waiting to see you. Well, who is he, do you know? He says his name is Weald. Harold Weald. Said it was personal. I told him you were busy. He said he'd wait. He wouldn't tell either me or Sergeant Burns what was on his mind. Excuse me, Captain. Yeah, go ahead. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Well, thanks for all your courtesies, Captain. I'll try to get something done. I promise you that. Oh, you uh, what, ma'am? absolutely necessary, Mr. Balney, that we get sufficient heat up on the third floor. No one can work with Listen, there. madam. Well, it's a long time until winter. Please, Captain. madam. Yes, it was a long time since last winter, too. That's when I reported. Madam, uh, you have my word, Captain. There'll be someone here within two weeks. All That's right. a civil action, madam. If he owes your money, we can't collect it. You better see your lawyer. Oh, uh, I'll talk to that fellow that's waiting, Sergeant. Yes, sir. If you can't afford a lawyer, go to the Legal Aid Society. The Legal Aid Society. Mr. Wheel? Yes, that's right. Captain Connolly? Kennelly. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Well, what can I do for you? Well, listen, Captain, I'm sorry to bother you, but I got an awful problem. It's my kid. Well, what's the trouble? Well, she got bit by a dog. When was this? Friday morning. Where? In the playground there, you know, 62nd Street, York Avenue. Uh-huh. How old is she? Four. She's four. Excuse me, Captain. Yes? Division Captain is calling in for you. Oh, all right. Thanks, Sergeant. I'll take it in my office. Yes, sir. Come in, Mr. Wheel. Yeah, thanks. My mother takes her to the playground almost every day. Go ahead. Thank you. Have a seat there. I didn't think there was anything to it. Excuse me a minute. Oh, yeah, sure. Captain Kennelly. Hello, Denny. Oh, just fine. When? Well, uh, just a second. Let me look at my chart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working Monday. Where? All right, I'll be there. Okay, so long. How'd you happen to get bitten, Mr. Wheel? Well, I wasn't there personally. I, I was working. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Me? I'm a driver for the Ace Taxis. I should be on the job now, but I thought I'd better take off the afternoon and get this straightened out. Yeah. How bad was the bite? Well, bad enough, I guess. He, he got her in the thigh, you know. He really dug in. Well, did she get medical treatment? Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife said the lady with the dog was very nice. Janet, that's my wife. She got kind of excited at first, but the doctor fixed it up, said it was nothing serious. So I, I forgot the whole thing, you know, until I got a call from my wife this afternoon. Uh-huh. What happened then? Well, my wife was all excited and... She called my dispatcher, left word for me to call her. When I did, she said somebody had been around from the Board of Health. Told her they couldn't get hold of the lady with the dog, and if they didn't by tomorrow morning, she'd have to bring the kid down for rabies shots. There's 22 shots. It takes 22 days. Well, where does the woman with the dog live? In this precinct? I, I don't know whether it's in this precinct. It's uh, Mrs. Charles Winkney, 190 Sutton Place North. That's in this precinct, yes. So I had to walk over there before. It's a big apartment house, very expensive. I started to go in, the doorman asked me who I wanted, so I told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. He buzzed up to the apartment, there wasn't any answer. He told me a policeman had been around two or three times today and the day before. The policeman couldn't find anybody there either. Is he from here, that policeman? Yes, that's right. In uh, dog bite cases, there's a 480V notice to be served on the owner. Mm-hmm. A notice to deliver the dog to the ASPCA for observation. 
Well, anyway, I, I got to talking to the doorman, and he said he thought sure somebody was home because the elevator man heard the dog barking in the apartment when he when he went up there on the floor for something else this afternoon. Oh, is that so? Well, I'm, I'm only going by what the doorman said the elevator man said. Now, look, the lady was very nice, but I, I, I don't want my kid to go through any 22 shots. What's more important, a dog or a kid? What do you think, Mr. Wheel? Well, I know what I think. The important thing is what you think. That uh, Mrs. Whitney, her husband, is a big-shot judge, the doorman told me. You sit here, Mr. Wheel. Well, I'll sit here, but is that going to get me action? That's what I want, action. That's what you're going to get. I'll be right back. Sergeant Burns. Yes, Captain? What are you doing about a 480V on a dog bite case? All right. Is that this one on Sutton Place North, Captain? Yes, that's the one. What are you doing about it? It's still hanging, Captain. Lieutenant Snyder said he had a man go by there three times during the day tour. There's nobody home. Well, did they go upstairs and see? I don't know about that, Captain. He just said it was still hanging. They haven't been able to serve it. I gave it to Singleton and told him to try as soon as he got over there. You know who that is? That's Judge Charles Whitney. Yes, I know. Now, listen, the father of the child the dog bit is in my office. He's been told to bring the child down to start a series of 22 rabies injections beginning tomorrow morning, unless that dog is delivered today. There doesn't seem to be anybody home, Captain. Well, the father says the doorman told him there was somebody home. Now, get on it. Yes, sir. I went back into my office and told Mr. Weald, the father of the dog bite victim, that we would make a further effort to serve the 480V notice on the owner of the dog. I advised him to return to his home and promised that we would notify him later concerning any results we obtained. Patrolman Singleton rang in and reported that he again went to 190 Sutton Place North and attempted to reach the occupants of the Wintney apartment by the house phone. There was no answer. He left a copy of the notice with the doorman. He was instructed to go upstairs and knock on the door. In the meantime, I read and signed such reports as had accumulated since I was last on duty and placed them in the box to be sent by messenger to division headquarters. At ten minutes to five, I went back out into the muster room and walked over to the desk. He's trying to reach the judge at his office, Captain. Good. Uh, Sergeant Klein, did uh, Singleton ring in again? No, sir, not yet. Judge Charles Winley's office, please. I thought this might be the quickest way to get some information, Captain. Well, it might be, yes. Hello? This is Sergeant Burns at the 21st Precinct. Is Judge Whitney there, please? Oh, is he? Oh, I see. Well, when? Thank you very much. Oh, uh, did Mrs. Whitney go with him? Uh-huh. Yes, I see. Well, thank you very much. He's uh, out of town, Captain. Yeah? He went to Boston for the American Bar Association Convention. The secretary expects him back tonight. He's flying in. Oh, did Mrs. Whitney go with him? No, sir, not that the secretary knows of. As far as the secretary knows, Mrs. Whitney's at home. I see. Look up the telephone number of their apartment and call over there. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Their phone might not be listed, though. Yes, Singleton. What'd you find out? Is that Singleton, Sergeant? Hold on. Uh, yes, sir, it's Singleton. All right, let me talk to him. Uh, take it right there, Captain. Hold on, Singleton. This is Captain Kennelly. Oh, yes, sir. Did you serve that notice? Uh, no, sir. Well, did you go up to the floor? Yes, sir. What happened? Well, I knocked on the door, Captain. There wasn't any answer. I heard that dog bark inside. I knocked again. Finally, she came and talked to me through the door. Who came? Mrs. Whitney, Captain. Well, wouldn't she open the door? No, sir. I told her I had the notice to serve on her to deliver the dog for observation. She said she wouldn't give up the dog. She wouldn't open the door. Did you explain to her that the Department of Health just has to examine the dog, that they won't molest or mistreat the animal? Yes, sir, but she refused to open the door. Where are you calling from now? Uh, the lobby of the apartment building. All right. 
You stay there. I'll be right over. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Yes, sir. Put out a call for a car to come by the house for me. Uh, yes, sir, Captain. She's there, huh, Captain? She's there, yes. So's the dog. She wouldn't open the door. Uh, CB, is this... Well, did she say why she wouldn't, Captain? No, that's what I'm going over to find out. What if she still refuses? Okay. You get a warrant to go in and get the dog. That won't look very nice. Cops break down judge's door. Some headline. Is this better? Four-year-old girl takes 22 anti-rabies injections. No headline. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. When you were playing... And now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Canelli. The disease of rabies is almost extinct. This is due almost entirely to the cooperation between police and public health authorities and the strict enforcement of the laws relating to dog bite cases. These laws call for the compulsory observation of dogs and other animals who are carriers of the disease after they have bitten and for compulsory treatment of human victims bitten by an animal that has escaped. The fact that the disease is now rare does not lessen the strictness of enforcement. The idea is to keep it rare. At 5.05 p.m., the car came by the station house and drove me to 190 Sutton Place North, a new apartment building in the higher rent classification. As we drove up, I saw Patrolman Singleton on the sidewalk in front of the building. A man was standing there talking to him. All right, wait for me here. Hello, Captain. Singleton? Uh, Captain, this is Mr. Tedburn. He's the super of the building. Uh, the resident manager. Mr. Tedburn? Uh, how do you do? You've been waiting down here since you rang in, Singleton? Yes, sir. I really don't see what's all the excitement, Captain. Don't you? The Wintneys are respectable people. He's an important judge. To have policemen running through the halls over something like this, it's ridiculous. Mr. Tedburn, I've just been talking to the father of the girl who was bitten by that dog. If that dog isn't delivered for observation, that four-year-old girl will have to start a series of 22 injections. Is that ridiculous? Well, I just want to save embarrassment is all. There's no embarrassment on our account. If she'd accept service of the notice, everything would be very quiet and simple. What kind of dog is it, Singleton? Well, the doorman told me a boxer, Captain. Uh, that is right, a boxer. Ah, big fellow, hmm? Yes, sir. All right, let's go up. Yes, sir. Do you mind if I come along also? Ah, I'd be glad to have you, Mr. Tedburn. You can see that we don't embarrass anyone. The doorman held the door open for us, and we walked into the foyer of the building. It was decorated in black and white. On the elevator, Singleton directed the operator to take us to the 14th floor. When we got off, Mr. Tedburn led the way to apartment 14B. No one was in the hall. Either the neighbors on the floor didn't know what was going on, or they didn't care. Ah, uh, this is it. Shall I ring, Captain? Go ahead. Yes, sir. There it is. Try again. Yes, sir. Mrs. Whitney? We're police officers. We want to talk to you. Uh, it is a wonder the neighbors haven't complained about that dog. He certainly does raise the roof, doesn't he? Mrs. Whitney! You know, Captain, I'm beginning to more and more see this thing from your point of view. Are you? Under these circumstances, I think I have a right to use my passkey. Oh, she's got on the door chain. Quiet. Quiet. Mrs. Whitney, 
please. Away. Close the door. Please. I want to talk to you, Mrs. Whitney. You can't take him. I won't let you. Well, I'm not going to take him. I want to talk to you, that's all. Where is she going? I don't know. She's coming back. She wants to put the dog in the other room. I want you to shut the door and let me alone. You don't seem to understand the seriousness of this, Mrs. Whitney. You want to take Jeff away. I don't want to take him away. He's all we've got. Jeff's all we've got. We have no family. Just Jeff, that's all. I'm not going to take him away. I just have to give you this notice. Singleton. Oh, yes, sir. Here it is. I want you to take this, Mrs. Whitney. No, no, I won't. It's a notice to deliver your dog to the ASPCA by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, I'll take it, but I won't deliver him. I won't. You can't have him. He's the only thing I've got left. The only thing. All right. Let's shut the door. Thank you, Miss Whitney. I won't. Do you think she will bring that dog down there? I don't. She's been served with a notice. Okay, Singleton, get back on the job. Yes, sir. People can live in a building 20 years and you never know they ever existed. 20 years. Hit that elevator bell, will you, Singleton? Yes, sir. Then a little thing like this can cause so much trouble. It's always the little things that cause trouble, Mr. Tedburn. People seem to manage the big ones. We rode down in the elevator. I thanked Mr. Tedburn for his assistance and came out of the building with Singleton. He resumed walking his post and I got into the car and went back to the precinct house. There, as the officer who served the 480B form on Mrs. Whitney, I filled in the lower half and delivered it to the desk officer to be forwarded to the Bureau of Preventable Diseases, Department of Health. Sergeant Burns told me that Patrolman Mercado had come upon a boy, 17, in the act of turning in a false alarm. He chased him up the stairs of a tenement and over the roofs of three adjacent buildings before he was apprehended. The boy admitted turning in at least five false alarms during the last month. I went on patrol of the precinct, during which I stopped on post number two, saw Patrolman Mercado, and congratulated him on the arrest. Later, while I was still on patrol, there was a radio signal to call in. We stopped at the nearest box, and I was told by Sergeant Klein that a visitor was waiting for me. Judge Charles Whitney. I had my operator drive me around to the precinct house. When I got out of the car, I instructed him to pick up his partner who had been taking his meal period and resume patrol. As the car drove away, I crossed the sidewalk and walked up into the muster room. Hello, Sergeant. Captain. 21st precinct, uh, Sergeant. Where's the judge? I suggested the judge wait right. in your office, Captain. Take him Good. Right. Oh, uh, what's doing, Sergeant? Oh, it's been a quiet tour, Captain. All right, I'll be in my office. Yes, sir. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Okay, the what? Judge Whitney? Oh, hello, Captain. Uh, we've met before, haven't we? Yes, I think so. At some dinner. Oh, yeah. Well, sit down, Judge. Thank you. I just got into LaGuardia from Boston an hour ago. Yes, sir, I know. I understand you were over to the apartment, Captain. Yes, that's right. We were there. And I'm sorry if we found it necessary to be a little insistent with Mrs. Whitney, but I don't have to tell you the law in these dog bite cases, Judge. If I wasn't able to affect service the way I did, I would have been required to get a warrant and break the door down. I hope you were able to explain that to Mrs. Whitney. Captain, I haven't been able to explain anything to Mrs. Whitney. She wouldn't open the door for me, either. Wouldn't she? No. I came home from the airport and went upstairs and tried my key. And she had the chain on the door. Wouldn't open it. Wouldn't even talk to me building manager came upstairs and told me what had happened. I'm sorry, Judge. Well, it's not your fault, Captain. I don't blame you. I should have seen it coming. Perhaps I even knew it was coming, and I couldn't bring myself to believe it. What's that, sir? 
A breakdown. I should have seen it the night I left for Boston. That was the same night that Jeff bit the child. Oh? Uh, he's a boxer, you know, so we named him James J. Jeffries, Jeff for short. Mm -hmm. I told her before I left that she would probably be called upon to deliver the dog for observation. And I should have seen from my attitude then that this was going to happen. I was in a hurry to catch the plane. She was all right until then. I understand she was fine when the dog bit the child, that she took the mother and the child to the emergency room, paid the bill, so forth. Yes, that's the report we got, too. But the minute I mentioned the possibility she might have to turn Jeff over for observation, she... she, she changed. Well, what was the reason for the change, you know, Judd? Yes, I do. I think I do. See, Captain, we had two sons, Richard and Charles Jr. They were a year and a half apart, 19 and 20. They were in school at Yale. Last June, they were driving down to New York after school. Their car turned over on the Merritt Parkway. They were both killed. Both of them. I'm sorry to hear that, Judd. If you have children of your own, you can imagine what it did to us. We went away, but that didn't help. Nothing helped. For myself, I found escape in my work. A judge can work hard, you know, and I did. But Nora didn't have anything like work, I suppose she... She turned to the dog, as Jeff was the boy's dog. When she saw the possibility that she'd lose the dog, that brought it on. I'm sure that that's the answer. Well, it probably is, yes, sir. She wouldn't even open the door. She doesn't even trust me. If I'd have known what the circumstances were, perhaps we could have used some other means. There wasn't any way for you to know, Captain. I, I'm not worried about that now. She's locked up in there alone. That's what I'm worried about. I don't know what's preying on her mind. Well, if you want to go into the apartment, Judge, I can call the emergency squad to give us a hand. They have a way with doors. Yes, yeah, but that's only as a last resort. No, I, I'd like to try persuasion some more. I had the door open this wide, the same as you did. I, I called to her. She wouldn't answer I couldn't think of anything else to say or do. I came over here. Well, do you have any ideas, Captain, besides the emergency squad? I mean, Well, perhaps I have one, just one. It might work. I don't know. Anything, Captain. I'm willing to try anything. Judge Whitney was a forlorn-looking man as I left him sitting in my office and walked out into the muster room. I gave Sergeant Klein instructions to have a car drive around to the precinct house to pick us up. Also, I told him to have sector car number one go to the home of Harold Weald, the father of the dog bite victim. They were instructed to locate Mr. Weald and ask if he would accompany them to 190 Sutton Place North. The car came by to drive Judge Whitney and myself to his apartment house. We rode the elevator to the 14th floor in silence. Is this way, Captain? Yes, I know. Oh, of course it is. I'd uh, suggest you try your key again, Judge. Yeah, that's a good idea. Still on the chain. Nora! Nora! Why don't you try calling the dog? If he comes to the door, maybe she will, too. Yes, that's a good idea. Jeff, boy! Hey, Jeff! Hey, Jeff! Hey, Jeff! Come on, Jeff! comes when I call him, Captain. Well, I think she has him in the back with the door closed. That's where she had him before. Nora, please, please come to the door, Nora, please. Nora. Well, let me try. Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney. 
Oh, yeah. For a little while, we'll get him, Captain. Hello, Captain. Judge Whitney and Mr. Wheel. Hi. How do you do? Judge, Patrolman Singleton. How do you do? Pleased to know you, sir. He told me about all the trouble you've been having, Judge. I don't like to cause any trouble, but after all, my little girl... I think it's the other way around as far as trouble being caused is concerned, Mr. Wheel. Now, don't worry about that. Well, I think you better call the emergency squad, Captain. This isn't going to do any good. Try again, Judge. Once more. All right. Nora. Nora, please come to the door, Nora. Nora. I think she's coming. Please, close the door, Charles. Let me in, Nora. You've got to. Close the door and go away, Sweetheart, sweetheart, now please. I'm not going to let you in. You're part of the law, too. You're on their side. Mrs. Whitney. Close the door, please. This is Mr. Weald. He's the father of the little girl. Oh, how is she? She's all right, I think, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Jeff never bitten anyone before. I think it was an accident. I think he was just trying to get that red ball she was playing with. Just the red ball. He's a very good dog, really. Yes, ma'am. Are you sure she's all right? We hope she'll be all right. She has to take 22 injections. 22 injections? Why? Because we can't get Jeff to see that he doesn't have rabies. Oh, Jeff doesn't have rabies. You know he doesn't. We have to make sure, ma'am. That's the law. I don't want to hear about the law. That's all I ever hear about. You don't want that little four-year-old girl to go through 22 injections, do you, Mrs. Whitney? Oh, no. That'd be a shame. Well, it's up to you. It's not up to me. Jeff doesn't have rabies. Anybody can see that. Anybody. When were you told to bring your little girl to the Department of Health, Mr. Wheel? Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. All 22 at once? No, ma'am. It takes 22 days. Oh, no. Poor little girl. Now, nothing will happen to Jeff, Mrs. Whitney. Believe me, they'll take good care of him. You'll have him back. They'll keep him. They'll take him away from me, just like everything else. 22 injections. That's right. And she's such a little girl. How old is she? Four. Yes, four. That's right. She was crying and her leg hurt her. But those little curls with a ribbon. I remember those little curls with a ribbon. I never had a little girl. I always wanted one. Not 22 injections. Yes, ma'am. 22. Please close the door. Mrs. Whitney. Please close the door. I can't get the chain off if you don't close the door. Yes, ma'am. What's she waiting for? All right. Take it easy. Sweetheart, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. There's a lot to be sorry about, isn't there? So much. Thank you, Mrs. Whitney. Nothing to thank me for. Just in there in the bedroom. I'll see that he gets where he has to go, Captain. Good. Young man? Me? Yes. Yes, ma'am, Mrs. Whitney. Watch her. Watch her every minute. Every minute of your life. Yes, ma'am. Because without her, you won't have any life. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Klein. He jumped, or he's going to jump. Where is he? On a ledge? Where is he? He's seventy-one. And so it goes, around the clock, through the week, every what? day, every year. 
A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring. Or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly. Featured in tonight's cast were Lawson Zerby, Wendell Holmes, Bill Zucker, Don McLaughlin, Barbara Weeks, Bill Lipton, and Donald Vane. Written and directed by Stanley Niss, Gaylord Avery speaking. That was a sad story. Yeah, I would say. Uh, it reminds me of an episode of Dragnet that I saw where this little girl, uh, she got bit by a dog. And um, if they didn't find the dogs, then she was going to have to take rabies shots and the rabies shots could kill her. She was allergic to them. There we go. Hey, there you didn't, go. huh? Sorry, go ahead. You didn't give me a chance while ago to tell them the name of it. Oh, so because it you called Dog Day. Yeah, I knew it was dog something, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, our next one is now I get to be romantic. Uh huh. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. This next one is Lux Radio Theater, and it's sort of like the Academy Awards Theater that I that we played for you last uh, week before last, or whenever that was. Yeah, the first week. Um, except that they don't water the movies down as much as they seem to do in the Academy Awards Theater, um, but. Anyway, uh, they call it Lux Radio Theater because it was sponsored by uh, the, the, the Lux company who made soaps and washing powders and all that kind of stuff back then. So, um, and anyway, this one stars Fred McMurray and Claudette Colbert. And... They're both really good actors, but it seemed funny seeing Fred playing in this after seeing him play in My Three Sons. But um, I have to say that I loved him in uh, Double Indemnity when he played uh, uh, next to um, Barbara Stanwyck. So I, I think if you ever saw that movie, you'll see him just as wonderful in this one. And Claudette Colbert, she she starred in about everything uh, but anyway um what was the name of this one gilded lily gilded <clears> lily <throat> no me. wonder i couldn't think of it yeah and that's what it seems like a gilded lily for sure anyway y'all have fun with it and enjoy Hollywood, california monday january 11th <laughs> Thank you.
The Lux Radio Theater presents Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray in The Gilded Lily with David Niven and George Chandler. Lux presents Hollywood. Our stars, Claudette Colbert, Fred McMurray, David Niven, and George Chandler. Our guests, Linton Wells, famous newspaper correspondent, and Janet Riesenfeld, dancer, recently returned from war-torn Spain. Our producer, Cecil B. DeMille. Our conductor, Louis Silvers. To you who crowd our theater on Hollywood Boulevard tonight, and to Lux listeners the nation over, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap extend a hearty welcome. Perhaps more so than anyone else, does the lovely screen star have to guard a beautiful complexion. Constantly before the public, she knows the camera will catch the slightest blemish should her skin reveal one. How significant it is, then, that nine out of ten screen stars use Lux toilet soap. The same beauty care so inexpensive that every girl can use it every day. Begin your Lux toilet soap beauty care tomorrow. The Lux Radio Theater presents its distinguished producer... Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Claudette Colbert has starred twice for me on the radio and three times on the screen. Highlights of our association run through my mind like sequences of film through a projector. Once I made her pass by a pair of leopards, brushing dangerously close to their fangs, but I protected her in that instance by pouring perfume on the cushions where the leopards crouched. Leopards don't care for stars if they can get perfume. Then there's the story of the centipede in Hawaii. After I had told Claudette that there was nothing in the Hawaiian jungle that could possibly harm her, she sat down to find a six-inch centipede roosting in her chair. Jumping up, she forgot the fierce-looking insect in her fury at me. And going across the studio lot one day... I met her on the way to lunch. How would you like to play the role of the wickedest woman in the world, I asked her. I'd love it, said Claudette. So I cast her as Poppea in The Sign of the Cross. Later, she starred for me as history's most glamorous woman, Cleopatra. And someday, I hope to star her as the bravest woman in the world. A part I have in mind for her that she knows nothing about. But Claudette is something of a star maker herself. Three young men who have risen to prominence in the past year, scored first as leading men for Miss Colbert. They are Melvin Douglas, Charles Boyer, and a frequent visitor to my set while I was shooting the plainsman, Fred McMurray. When Paramount cast him as Claudette's leading man in The Gilded Lily, the effect of his charm was instantaneous. Everywhere, people were suddenly talking about him. A ten-letter man in high school, Fred now gets 10,000 letters a month but he's just as regular as the man he plays tonight. Pete, a ship news reporter. Claudette Colbert, born with the name of Lily, resumes that name for the evening. David Niven will be heard in the role of Charles Gray and George Chandler as Eddie, a photographer. And this is the moment when we introduce them to the Lux Radio Theater audience. Ladies and gentlemen, Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray in a story based on the paramount picture... The Gilded Lily.
42nd and 5th Avenue, New York City. From a park bench, not far from the steps of the public library, two young people are idly contemplating the surge of traffic at the busy intersection. They are Pete Dawes, a newspaper reporter, who leans back against the bench, his long legs stretched out before him, and Lily Davis, a stenographer. They haven't been talking very much, just watching and eating popcorn from a paper bag. Big stuff, eh? Watching the world go by? Right, big stuff. Of course, there's different ways of watching. Now you take the guy who eats peanuts. Every time he cracks a shell, he has to see that his thumb is in the right spot, and then he has to take the peanuts out and then throw the shells away. A guy like that can't concentrate. See what I mean? Oh, sure. But popcorn. <laughs> popcorn was made for watching the world go by. Look. I stick my hand in the bag without taking my eyes off the street. I throw the popcorn in my craw, I chew, and I'm still looking. That's what I call class. Sure, peanut eaters don't know how to live. Nah. Tell me something, Lily. You love me? No. That's the way to talk. No worries, no jealousies, just meeting here every Thursday and eating our popcorn. Why don't you love me? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know what love is, but I think I do. What do you think? About love? About love. Well, I think when it hits me... I'll start walking three feet off the ground, and, and if a man has a mole on his nose, I won't be able to see it. And I have a feeling that when I find him, he'll be flat broke. Right. And when you're married, you won't be able to quit your job until you have to. And there'll be plenty of reasons why you'll have to. Well, that's the fun of being married. Fun? <laughs> you'll do your own cooking and washing, you'll lose your figure. Oh, you newspaper men know everything. Sure. What you're trying to be is a Lizzie Glutz. Lizzie Glutz? Yeah. The girl who runs her own little world to suit herself because she's too unimportant to have the world run her. Well, that sounds great to me. Mm, of course it does. The smarter you are, the harder you try for that kind of life. But Lizzie Glutz is Lizzie Glutz simply because she's too darn dumb to be anything else. And that's not you. Oh, Pete, you're talking through your nose again. Ah, there's a dame for you. I try to tell her she's got it in her to be big stuff, and what does she do? She says, let's go for a walk. <laughs> Only as far as the subway, though. i got to work tonight. Say, is there a boat docking? Yeah. i got to get an interview with some visiting group about what he thinks of our beautiful buildings and tall women. Oh, Pete, someday I'd like to go down and meet a boat with you, just to see what celebrities are like, huh? Ah, if people really knew, there wouldn't be any celebrities. Well, let's go. I'll walk you to the subway. Wait a minute. Don't you think you'd better put your shoes on? <laughs> Gosh, I forgot I took them off. <laughs> Just a grandfather. Huh? <laughs> Come on, hurry up. I don't want to miss the West Side Limited. West Side train, West Side. Get them out, get them out. Same bench. Same time. Come on, Lily. West Side train. Keep moving in there. Don't block the doors. All right, lady, if you're going in, go on. I know me, job lady. There's no room in this car. Well, then we'll make it. Go on, go on. Stop it! Yeah, you can't do that. You're passing your flattening, this young lady. Oh, shut up and turn around before somebody steps in your face. Come on, get in. You leave her alone, or I'll do a bit of pushing myself. Oh, yeah? I'd like to see you try it. I'm afraid I'll have to. Back, but is anybody following us? I can't see without looking. Well, let's duck into a store. A store, a store here in this one. Oh, mister, whatever you do, never stock a subway guard. Not even for you? Well. What is it, please? No, what's what? 
Can I wait on you? Uh, well, no. Oh, no, we're just browsing around. Browsing? For an artificial leg? Artificial what? Well, that's all we sell in here, sir. Well, that's uh, <laughs> a lovely day, isn't it? I think so. Oh, mm. Quite well, thanks very much. Come on, let's get out. <laughs> your house? Mine and about 20 other people. I've got the second floor front. Well. Well. Uh, did, did, did I thank you for the dinner? Three times. Am I going to see you again? <laughs> why not? Of course, why not? Uh, did anyone ever tell you that you talk like an Englishman? I was born in England. Ah, uh, maybe that's why. Yes, maybe that's why. Mm. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> no, I feel as though I just come out of ether. Well. May I see you tomorrow? For what? For fun. What's your name? Gray. Uh, Charles Gray. Shall I say about two? Tomorrow's Friday. Don't you work on Friday? No. Do you work on Thursday? No. Do you work any day? No. Oh. Well, why don't you go out and look for a job tomorrow? But tomorrow I want to be with you. Well, not at two o'clock. I work until 5.30. Oh, I can wait. Better still, I'll meet you in the morning and take you to your office. Will you look for a job Monday? If you let me see you on Saturday and Sunday, too. <laughs> Well, why should I care if you find a job? Of course. Why should you care? Well, good night. Um, thanks for shocking the guard. No trouble. Oh, oh, but my name's Lily. Lily David. I forgot to tell you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. tell about me. I make $20 a week. It was 35 a few years ago, but I don't mind. I haven't many friends, and I don't mind that either. Now, do you want to dance? I'd rather just sit and talk, if you don't mind. Sure. Isn't it funny? We've known each other almost a week now, and this is the first time we've let down our hair and talked seriously. What about you? Me? All I know about you is your name so far. Well, there's very little else. My life story is very dull, and I wouldn't bore you with it. Are you going to keep your promise about finding a job? Why are you so interested in a job for me? Well, well it, it, it's the right way to live now, isn't it? Instead of going along from day to day, just trusting that something will come along to keep you going? That's true, I suppose. And we're going to see each other again, aren't we? So often that you'll become annoyed with me. Do you think so? No, not really. You want to hear a secret? About you? No, about both of us. If I were ever to become annoyed with you, it would have happened years ago. What? That's when I first started thinking about you. How you'd look, oh. the way you'd have, what you'd say when we were together. And do I live up to the picture? Perfectly. Even to being without a job. But that's the way I wanted you to be, so that when I met you, actually, I could help you. Well, there's not much I can say after that. If I simply told you I loved you, it would sound rather flat, wouldn't it? I don't think so. Shall I try it, just to see how it sounds? Will you mean it? How could I help but mean it? Then try it. I love you so much. Happy? Oh, gloriously. But we shouldn't have taken a cab. <laughs> we had to celebrate. Isn't every night I tell a girl that I love her? I hope not. <laughs> I'll pay half the bill. All right. And what about tomorrow? Will I see you? Oh, tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and... Oh, no, wait a minute. No, tomorrow's Thursday, isn't it? Yes, why? 
Oh, I, I can't see you tomorrow night. I have a day. Oh. You don't mind, do you? It's been every Thursday for such a long time. More popcorn, Lily? No. What's the matter? Sick? No. You know something? There's no reason why we shouldn't force the city to put a water bottle beside this bench. A man can't eat popcorn all night without drinking something. I said a man can't eat popcorn all night without drinking something. Hmm? Oh, yes. Hey, look at me. What's the matter with you tonight? Pete, I want you to shake hands with Lizzie Glutz. Lizzie Glutz? Yeah, Lizzie Glutz. The girl we talked about. The girl you said I wasn't, remember? The girl who was going to meet some man who'd sweep her right off the ground and he'd be broke and neither of them would care and all at once they'd be living in their own little world. Oh. So what happened, huh? Yep. Just like I said it would. You see, you were wrong. Yeah. Who is he? Just a nobody. But you'd like him. Would I? Oh, beat it's the swellest feeling. All at once, you're, you're face to face. You don't know how it happened, but there you are. And from then on, it's just one roller coaster ride after another. Wait till it happens to you. You think it will? It's bound to. Well, what'll I do? Well? I know what I'll do. Just sit on the bench and eat my popcorn and watch the world go by. And then all at once, there won't be any more popcorn, and a man can't watch the world go by without popcorn, can he? Please. Can he? Please. I bet he's a darn nice guy. Yeah, he is a darn nice guy. I was nuts about this bench, weren't you? I still am. Hello, I'll put a four-inch sign on it tomorrow. But, Pete, you're still the best friend I've got. What I do with him won't make any difference with us. No? No, you don't understand about him. I want you to meet him right away. There's no reason why the three of us... You don't know your guys. But I don't want to lose you. I won't. (laughs) I know. Just old reliable. That's how I stack up with you. All right, forget about the four-inch sign. If you're ever in a spot or... If you feel like you want to talk it over with somebody on a Thursday night, you'll know where to find me. I'll be here. But don't come unless you have to, because it can never be the same anymore, see? You understand that, don't you? I guess so. Well, well, I gotta beat it. Oh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I got some stuff to finish up over at the office. I'll be working pretty late, I guess, so... Well, so long, really. So just a moment, we will continue with the Lux Radio Theater presentation of The Gilded Lily, starring Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray. For the moment, we want to tell you a little inside story about Mr. DeMille's own studio, Paramount. Yesterday, there was a story conference. Now, as we tune in, some of the girls are still typing away at the script. Madge is particularly rushed. She and Virginia have a special date tonight with two special gentlemen, and Virginia's all ready to go. All set, Madge? Come on. Oh, Virginia, is it that late? Oh, I'm tired. Honest, I don't know how I can go out tonight. I've been digging in my files and typing like mad all day long. Couldn't we go tomorrow night? Oh, no. I'm tired, too, but I know what to do about it. I just pop into a nice, warm, luxe toilet soap bath. Haven't you tried that? It makes you feel, well, round to go. Thousands of popular girls all over the country are in on the Lux Toilet Soap Beauty Bath Secret. Famous screen stars like Betty Davis and Carol Lombard find it a wonderful pick-me-up after a hard studio day. And most important of all, you can depend on Lux Toilet Soap's active lather to protect daintiness. Keep your skin sweet. 
you'll love the delicate, expensive fragrance of this fine white soap. Once again, Mr. DeMille. We continue with The Gilded Lily, starring Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray with David Niven. A few days have passed since Lily said goodbye to the easygoing Newshawk. We're in a richly furnished apartment of a Park Avenue hotel where two men stand facing each other across a table. The older man is the Duke of Lomshire, visiting America incognito. The younger is his son, known to us as Charles Gray, known in England as Lord Granville. The Duke of Lomshire breaks a long silence. So, mm-hmm. it's actually that serious, Charles. Yes, Father. Well, and now what? Well, first I'll have to cable Helen and ask her to break the engagement. Well, that's going to be rather difficult. I know. And this, uh, this Lily? Well, I'll simply tell her that fate takes care of idiots and supplies them well with money, and, and I'll take her back to England and we'll be married. And that's that. Well, I... Gray, why did you lie about yourself to this girl? Tell her that you were a nobody, that you had no money. I didn't. She told me that about myself. And after that, I was afraid to tell her the truth, because... Because you wanted to be what she thought you were. Yes. Oh, that's human, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> you'll forgive me, of course, if my mouth seems to hang open at times. Why, back home you were so enthused about social things. Parties, clubs, and all that. And here, all at once, you plunge yourself into a terrible, serious romance with this, uh, this shop girl. She's not a shop girl. She works in an office. Oh, uh, forgive me. But I... I still can't understand it. But don't you see, I asked that we make this trip to America secretly just to get away from all that social nonsense. Yeah, for how long? Oh, I'm sincere about this, Father. Oh, of course you are. You're sincere about everything for the moment. But that's your way of objecting to Lily. I don't object to her, Gray. If you're set on marrying Lily, I'll accept her. And so will Mother. But there are various ways of handling a delicate situation, and you're diving into it headlong. Lies. Cables. Oh, it's all so crude, my boy. What should I do? Go back to England. See Helen. Give her an opportunity to call off the engagement decently. And talk to your mother, as a son should talk to her. And then, with your house in order, come back here and ask Lily to marry you. You will have the right to ask her after that. I wonder what Lily would say if I told her the truth. Well, my boy, it would be easy enough to find out. Oh, no, no, not yet. I just tell her I'm going away and that I've got a job. And heaven knows that's no lie. Hey, Pete. Yeah, what do you want, Eddie? The boss is looking for you. You better put your shoes on and get on in there. Okay, take it easy. Well, it sounds important. Sure, it's always important. Hello, Jack. You want to see me? Well, old Pete Dawes, the demon reporter. Say, why don't you wake up and notice what's going on in front of those St. Bernard eyes? What? Well, would it interest you at all on this beautiful, sunshiny day to know that the Duke of Romeshire and his son have been playing around town here for six weeks without a line of print? Well, how'd they get here? Phony names. But where were you? We run pictures of the kid when he got engaged to some English dame. Can't you use your eyes? Well, what am I supposed to be? Secret Service Operator Number Thirteen? I don't know what you're supposed to be. And while you're walking around here in a trance, we have to pay a smart little hotel bellhop five bucks for the tip. Okay, where are they? They're sailing today at noon. Noon? I'll get them at the boat. Hey, wait a minute. Take these pictures and clips along, so you can at least tell them from Adam. And keep your mouth shut. We're the only sheet in town that's got anything. Ha <laughs> ha! You hope. 
supposed to do? You ought to tell a guy. I'm getting a story. You're here to get some pictures, see? Yeah, but, but who? Well, what's the difference? I'll point them out and you snap them. Try to get them with their mouths open, Eddie. It's funnier that way. But their mouths open? For cheap. Ah, uh, don't be artistic. Hey, there they are, up there on the deck. Come on, Eddie. Hello, gents. I beg your pardon? Say, what's the idea of visiting our little city without letting the papers in on it? Papers? Yeah, don't you think New York would like to know that it's been visited by the Duke of Loamshire and his son? What? Hey, all right, Eddie, snap him. Perfect, Pete, just like you said. But, my good man, you must be mistaken. Oh, not at all. How about a little statement as to why you were here, what you were doing? Look, couldn't you be a good sport and forget that you saw us? We'd appreciate it tremendously. Is it that important to you? We can assure you there's no significance to the visit. We simply came here to enjoy ourselves quietly. And a report of the trip in the papers might call personal embarrassment. Mm -hmm. To your fiancée, for instance, Miss Helen Fergus? Well, yes. You're still engaged, aren't you? Yes, of course. Uh, we'd be glad to make it worth your while. Oh, don't bother. Is that important? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I've never seen you. Uh, you promised that? Sure. Come on, Eddie. Thank you. Don't mention it. Hey, what do you mean? Promising those guys you didn't see them. One of it. You saw them, didn't you? Sure, I got there. Oh. Pete Dawes speaking. Oh, hello, Mac. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was swan myself. Say, did you see that picture of Dranville with his mouth open? Is that a laugh? <laughs> well, for... Hey, I'll call you back, Mac. What are you doing here, Lily? I've got to see you alone now. Okay, we'll find an empty office. Well? Pete, this picture in the papers. Did you do it? Sure, why? Did you see these people? Talk to them? Of course, why all the excitement? Why? Because Lord Granville... This man engaged to a girl in England. That's Charles Gray. Charles Gray? Yes, Charles Gray. The nobody I was telling you about. Charles Gray Granville. So that's it. That's why I got the runaround. He said he was going out of town for a couple of weeks to get a job. Pete, what did he say? What did he talk about? Oh, he just... Well, go ahead. I'm asking for it. Well, he said he'd just been fooling around in America on the quiet and said he was going back to marry that English dame. His father tried to bribe me to keep the whole thing quiet. Oh, that's swell, isn't it? Well, Lizzie Gus did all right by herself, didn't she? He was broke. A nobody. He said he loved me. Now, what did he think I was? Oh, don't get all worked up about him. If he ever comes back here, I'll break his neck. He won't come back. All right, what are you going to do about it? What can you do? I'd like to do to him what he's done to me. Make him something to laugh at. Yeah, why not? Oh, no. When you're the sap, you're the sap. Anything you do makes you even more the sap. Well, there's a story for your paper. Lord Granville walks out on poor working girl. Can't you see the headlines? Yeah, I can see the headlines. I want to speak to Pete Dawes. It's Miss David calling. Lily Dave. What? He is so in. You tell that big gorilla if he doesn't speak to me. Hello? Hello?
poor little Arthur's girl discarded the love of Lord Charles in unshaken belief that romance would eventually be hers. Lord Charles is now returning home, his heart heavy with grief at the thought... Oh, stop it, father. Well, there you are. The latest radio bulletin. The captain has kept it out of the ship's paper, but it's all over England. I can't understand this. What's her idea? What's she after? A girl of her type? <laughs> You'll hear from her later, asking for money to stop further publicity. Well, I have to admit, she had me fooled completely. Now, we'll have to be very careful. Of course, the harm has already been done with Helen. Oh, it's a shame she was drawn into this mess. Oh, that's over. But if there are going to be reporters at Southampton waiting for you, asking for statements... I'll give them a statement. No, you won't. Well, if I'd known I was going to drag you and Mother into cheap scandal... My boy, all we have to do is be sure that nothing is done to encourage it. If there was only some way of stopping her without resorting to the courts... Well, that won't be difficult, now that I know her language. <laughs> Oh, maybe I find you here. Did you? I've been waiting an hour and a half. Sit down. Yeah, thanks, sir. Is the popcorn? Aren't you going to take off your shoes? <laughs> I don't know. I may not be staying very long. All right. Why? Why what? You know what? Why did you print those fake stories? Oh, that. Go ahead. Okay. I did it because I love you. That guy Gray hurt you. And nobody's going to hurt you while I'm around and get away with it. That's what I thought. Oh, your windmill. Well, at least nobody will ever walk out on you again. You're somebody now. Yes, somebody is right. People pointing at me in the subway, on the street, photographers trying to break into my house. Sure, you're a celebrity now. One of those peculiar people made strangely important by ordinary newspaper prints. Strangely important. A busted romance, no job. You lost your job? I didn't lose it, I quit. What for? I got tired of answering questions. And look at this. What's that, a cable there? Read it. How much would it cost for a poor little working girl to forget she ever met me? Charles Gray. Well, there's a sweet boyfriend for you. Yep, sweet and to the point. Well, if he wants to be forgotten, here's the one who can do it. That's the stuff. Pete, you're a smart fellow. What do poor little working girls usually do next? Well, they usually drown themselves one way or the other. I'll take the other. Let's go. Nice joint, huh? Not classy, but it's comfortable. Hey. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking. Yeah, I noticed it. You know, there's one thing about Gray, Pete. He gave me the swellest moments I ever had in my life. How much will it cost for a poor little working girl to forget? Oh, all right. I'm quiet. If you ever pull another crack about that guy... Hello, Pete. Oh, hello, man. Where you been? I expected to see you when we had that pip murder here last month. I'm handling ship news now, Nate. Byline and everything. Don't you read it? Nah. Ah. Who's your girlfriend? Oh, Nate, I want you to meet Lily David. Uh, Lily, this is Nate Sarkinopoulos, the smartest cafe man in the business. Hello. How are you? Hi. Lily David, huh? Yeah, I read about you. Kicking Lord Hooses back to England. That's what I say. Send all these foreigners back where they're supposed to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, they need how's, uh, how's business? Ah, terrible. Too many nightclubs. You haven't got something to drag them in, you starve. What I need is a first-class A-number-one attraction. A name. Yeah, that'd help, Nate. Sure, but where do you find them when they don't ask for a million dollars? Hey, wait a minute. Listen, Nate. I've got just the thing you're looking for. Not too expensive, but a big attraction. She'll jam the place for months. Yeah? Who is she? Lily David. What? Now, wait a minute. 
I'm getting out of here. Sit down. Nate, this is it. Well, maybe you're right. Listen, if you think I'm going to turn myself into a nightclub Shut queen... Shut up. I tell you, it's a cinch, Nate. Publicity, that's all it takes. Well, Let's that... spread her name over every billboard in town. You've read about her. You've talked about her. You've wondered about her. Now see her at the Gingham Cafe. Well, it sounds good to me. Well, it doesn't sound so good to we'll me. We've got a singing teacher, boy. We'll teach her to fake a song. Oh, is that so? I can see it all now, Nate. Enlarge the place. Redecorate the whole business. Wait, that's a expensive bit. Oh, what's the difference? Listen, well, I want to know... She'll make it all back in a couple of weeks. I tell you, she'll pack them in like sardines. Oh, please, for I have to pay. get an orchestra. That's an idea. A 20-piece orchestra. Well, no, I'll make it 25 pieces and drown on her voice. Oh, no, wait a minute. I can hear it now. 25 pieces swinging like mad. Oh, Who's there? Pete. Well, go jump in the lake. What do you think this dressing room is? A public thoroughfare? Say, you ought to see the crowd out there. It's packed. I told you we'd do it. They're waiting to see you, Lily Davis, the little office girl who thought she was Lizzie Glass. Waiting to see me? Ha! Well, you don't have to get hysterical about it. Oh, Pete, can't you see how silly this is? Let's pretend we're sane again and call the whole thing off. No, why do that? Why? Look at me. I'm supposed to go out there and try to sing, try to dance. Dance. And outfit like this, I can't even walk. Oh, you'll come all right. Just sing your song and do your dance. That's all they all they want to do is a chance. All they want is a chance to see it. Yeah, I'd like to see you go out there in this and let them look you over. I feel like a fancy porch swing. Uh, Lily. Oh, shut up. Oh, Lily, look, I uh, I brought you something. See, a bracelet. Bracelet? Oh, please. Like it? It's lovely, but you shouldn't have done it. Ah, that's all right. I got a lot of other stuff, too. Here, look. A necklace, diamond earrings, a couple of brooches, an anklet, and six ruby rings. Well, huh? Where did you get this? The whole layout cost me 15 bucks. From five feet away, nobody can tell the difference. And this is your little present to me. Now, look. We don't know where this stuff came from. There'll be rumors, of course, that this necklace was given to you by the prince of some place or other, and the earrings are a little token of steam from the Duke of Whatchamacallit. Uh-huh. And the anklet from some king of some little country. I'll work, work out a good gag on that. Oh, sure. Of course, we'll pay no attention to the rumors. We'll just wear our jewelry and let people talk. Sure. Say, Pete, isn't that something missing? Missing? Where's that little gadget I got from Napoleon? Well, <laughs> wouldn't be a bad idea at that. Yeah. But don't worry, I'll have your name in headlines every day. Lily David, the famous no girl, the glamour girl. I'll have you ditching everybody from a count to a rajah. Oh, could you by any chance be living my life for me? Miss David, you're Ah, she's coming. Ready, Lily? Oh, I suppose so. Oh, come on, come on, come on, buck up. You know, just to show me that everything's all right. Oh, Pete, you're such a fool. I, I don't know whether to kiss you or kick you. Well, a kiss would be easy to take, but I guess a kick would be easy to give. Oh, Pete. Hello, girl. I want to say, Lily, that first little bracelet I gave you, it's personal for me. It's on the level. No kidding? No kidding. Now go out there and murder them. Murder them? Do you realize you're talking to the corpse? Go ahead, Lily. Lots of luck. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Lily David, the world famous no girl. <laughs> Is Lily home? Yeah, sir. But she's going out soon. Who's that, Dora? Oh. Oh, hello. Hello. Get my coat, will you, Dora? Yeah, sir. 
Going out, huh? Yes, why? Do you realize I've hardly seen you in three weeks? I know it was my idea to have you step out now and then. It was your idea, all right. I must be seen in the right places with the right people, correct? Yeah, but look, I didn't mean all the time. I sure felt like it's kind of lonesome sitting around talking to himself. What are you doing tonight? A date? The old guy with the 43 creameries. I suppose you forgot you've introduced me to him. Oh, can't you call it off? Just this once. You know, tell him you're sick, you, you had your throat cut or something. Why? Well. <laughs> all right. Tonight, you and I? Ah, swell. We'll go out and get some popcorn, huh? Oh, Dora. Yeah, Uncle? Never mind the coat. And you'll find Mr. Decker's phone number in the little book. Tell him I'm staying home tonight. That a girl. With a headache. That's a nice crack. <laughs> All right, what do we talk about? The weather? Oh, listen, Lily, I gotta talk to you seriously tonight. Hey. Excuse me. Yeah. Hello? Oh, hello, Mr. Randall. It's the millionaire from Yonkers. Oh, hang up on him. How are you, Mr. Randall? Oh, just fine. What? Oh, Mr. Randall. Hey, what's he saying? No, I can't. No, I said I can't. You can't what? No, some other time, Mr. Randall. Oh, of course I do. Hey, give me that phone. Pete. Hello. Listen, you. Hang up that phone and don't call back again. Miss David isn't in. Huh? This is her father. <laughs> the puppet getting burned up. Well, huh? the way those mugs talk, you think they owned you. How do you think I feel about it? Do you think I asked for this? No time for myself? Working most of the night? Reporters hounding me all the time? People expecting me to do something crazy every time I step outside? <sighs> Why haven't you thought of having me pushed over Niagara Falls in a kiddie car? Mm. Let's drop the whole thing. Uh, it was my idea, and I'm admitting it's wrong. We, we could go away to the mountains, maybe, where you, where you could get some rest, and then maybe we could... Oh, Lily, I know I'm just a mug, no class, not even a crease in my pants, but... Well, you know what I'm trying to say? I think so. Well, how do you feel about it? Oh, Pete, I'd marry you in a minute if it would make either of us any happier. But something happened to me once, and I'm not going to be satisfied until I find out why. Now you're going to let that guy bother you for the rest of your life? Pete, I can tell you this because I know you'll understand. I feel... Like a kid must feel when someone he loves slaps him in the face. He's hurt, he's angry, but he still loves. Yeah, same old Lily. I have to see him. Sure you do. I wonder what would happen if I took one of those London nightclub offers. And if he really wanted to see me. You do that and he'll be camping on the doorstep. Say, how many times do I have to tell you you developed into a mighty swell dish? Pete, I'm going to London. And what's going to happen? You'll see Gray, find out in ten minutes he's still a lug and come tearing back home. At least I'd know. Right. I'm just blabbing. Sure, you go ahead and I'll sort of stay here to keep things rolling. What? You're coming along. Me? Yes, you. What do you expect to do while I'm barging around in a strange country? Stay here and write fan letters? Oh, Lily. I say you're coming with me. Well, all right, I will. But, but get this. I don't like that guy and I never will. And if he tries to pull any more of his fancy tricks, I'll pop him right in the nose. Oh, Pete, you've got the soul of a poet. Station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. KNX, Los Angeles, the voice of Hollywood. In a few minutes, we resume The Gilded Lily, starring Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray with David Niven. 
We left Miss Colbert rapidly gaining fame in our play as a dancer. And it's a dancer whom we hear from now. Miss Janet Riesenfeld, daughter of the distinguished conductor, Dr. Hugo Riesenfeld. I met her first as a child when she came to my office with her father, who scored many DeMille pictures. Known professionally as Raquel Rojas, Miss Riesenfeld left this summer for Spain, where she was to meet a new dancing partner. She found him in the army and herself in the midst of the fierce siege of Madrid. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Janet Riesenfeld. Thank you, Mr. DeMille. Yes, I went to Spain to dance and learned all sorts of new steps, dodging bombs and bullets. With fighting going on, Janet, how were you able to enter Madrid? I met a newspaper correspondent who had a passport, but no knowledge of Spanish. So I got through posing as his assistant. Once there, I stayed, thinking the rebellion would be over in a few days. When I changed my mind, I couldn't leave. After six terrifying weeks, the American embassy left Madrid for Valencia on Thanksgiving Day, and I went along. Did you see much actual fighting? You couldn't live in Madrid and not see it, Mr. DeMille. Madrid is a city of death and ruin, but the spirit of the people is incredibly magnificent. I was only half a block away when the first rebel bomb struck. From then on, the gunfire and cannonading was ceaseless. I spent my time in Madrid dancing at benefits for soldiers, searching for food and avoiding shells. We managed to get by on a scant supply of rice, lentils, and bread. When one is in the midst of a siege, without light, warmth, or sufficient food, and with death raining down in bombs and shrapnel, one doesn't exactly look for the luxuries of life. But nonetheless, I was able to secure a few of the minor comforts during my stay in Madrid. One of these you will be especially interested in, Mr. DeMille. It was Lux toilet soap. Although I would have rather had a nice juicy steak, at least I was able to keep a whole skin and keep it clean. I bought Lux soap in sections of the city where no other foreign product was displayed. Madrid, of course, had no hot water. But that didn't bother Lux toilet soap very much. I found it lathered just as beautifully in cold water. Are the reports true that women are fighting with their men at the front? Yes. They're just as heroic and brave as their soldiers. But principally, they have taken over the civilian work of the men. Being an American, nothing moved me as much as when the word came that President Roosevelt had been re-elected. In the midst of all the suffering and bloodshed, Madrid welcomed that news enthusiastically. President Roosevelt's picture appeared everywhere, and I soon realized that next to their own, our flag is closest to the hearts of the Madrilenos. The hardship of my few months were nothing compared to the suffering of the Spanish people. More than anything else, the experience has made me grateful that I'm an American. Thanks and good night. Good night, Miss Riesenfeld. Once again, Claudette Colbert, Fred McMurray, and David Niven in The Gilded Lily. A figure of international reputation, Lily went to London, where she quickly became the toast of Mayfair. She's been seeing Lord Granville regularly for almost a month, and Pete is convinced that his own case is quite hopeless. It's 11 o'clock in the morning as he knocks at the door of Lily's hotel suite. Oh, Pete. Hello. You almost missed me. I was just going out. With uh, Granville? I, I was going to leave word downstairs that I'd be back tonight. You didn't mention it yesterday. It was just a little trip into the country for a rest. This is Sunday, you know, and I don't work tonight. Yeah. Say, uh, Lily, I, I just dropped in to tell you I'm sailing today. Sailing? Why? Well, I can't express it exactly. 
But you've been going right along so swell, and I seem to be in the way more and more. That's not true. Oh, it is true. I, I'm just something you needed when everything was new to you. Can't you see that, well, that you've reached a point where I can't help you anymore, where the best thing for both of us is for me to bow out in a hurry? Pete, I can't stay here without you. What about Gray? Don't you intend to keep on seeing him? Yes, but... You know what's going to happen. I know. He seems to be a nice guy, and he's crazy about you. And all I want you to be married to him. That's what's in your heart, isn't it? Honestly? Yes. Oh, it's all great with me. I'm glad to see you get what you wanted. And now that my job's finished, I'm going home. Well, if you've decided on going back, I can't stop you. Pete, have I hurt you? No. I'm the one that should be asking that. You'll never be sorry, will you, Lily, about the crazy way I shoved you into this racket? Oh, of course not. You know now that it's made certain things possible. Things that couldn't have happened any other way. I guess it did. Oh, Pete, couldn't you please stay? I'll get my old job back and everything will be jay. And every Thursday night, I'll show up at the bench and eat a bag of popcorn for both of us. Just for a gag, sort of. But you're leaving so suddenly. And look, if things don't go so well with you. Oh, but they will. I, I know they will. Goodbye, Lily. Pete. So long. Like it? Oh, it's heavenly. I'd almost forgotten what the country was like. And now this place. I can understand what that old innkeeper meant now. Hey, what was that? Didn't you hear him? Oh, yes, yeah, something about this being the very place where his wife said she'd marry him. That was it, wasn't it? Yes, 30 years ago, right here. <laughs> He's a queer old bird. He must be very funny, really. Oh, I'd love to have seen them. Hugo and Lizzie Glutz. Glutz? Who told you that was her name? It had to be. I'll bet she sat right here where I'm sitting. And Hugo stood up, of course, because he had on his Sunday pants. <laughs> it's rather pathetic, isn't it? Look, there he is now with his broom and the drudgery that he hates. And that little girl aging into a bitter old woman. I don't feel that way about them. You have everything that matters when you're just Hugo and Lizzie Glutz. Two happy nobodies. You wouldn't be able to stand that sort of existence alone. It's what I've wanted all my life. Great. What possible pleasure is there in parading ourselves before a crowd as though we're trying to let the whole world see that we're actually in love? Well, is it so terrible that I'm proud of you? Lily, do you realize what's happened to you? You're known all over the world. Men everywhere have talked about you and wanted you. Now all those people have laughed at me when they thought I'd lost you. Now they're going to see that you belong to me, that you always did belong to me. Gray. Yes, what is it, Lily? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Hey, buddy. Yeah? This bench private? No, sit down. Thanks. Can you spare a cigarette, buddy? Yeah, here you are. Thanks. Ah. What's the matter? It ain't my brand. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, but it'll do. That's the worst of being broke. You can never get your own brand. No girl may say yes. No girl may say yes. No girl may say yes. Boy, that gal come up from nowhere. I wonder how much dough the Englishman's got. Mm, she doesn't care. No? How do you figure? Oh, it's just my guess. Well, maybe so, but a couple of million bucks would come in handy for a cold winter. Two million bucks or two cents. Doesn't make any difference to that girl. She's got an idea in the back of her head about what the perfect life should be. And she's not going to stop hunting until she finds it. Yeah? I suppose you got all this straight from her. You're darn right. She was sitting right here on this bench. Yeah? Yeah. 
<laughs> Say, um, you, you ain't Napoleon, are you? No. Are you? Me? No, I ain't. I think I'll be going. Hey, wait a minute. How do you mail a bag of popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ask your keeper. Popcorn. All the way from America. <laughs> Look like Mr. Pete's on another tail. No, he knows what he's doing. Mm, he a card with it, honey. Listen. I just remembered how tough it is to get popcorn in London. Have you and Gray found a bench yet? Now, what do you mean by that, Miss Lily? <laughs> oh, funny face. Can't you see him, Dora? Draped all over that bench, his shoes off, that popcorn bag in his hand. You know, Pete never would touch peanuts. No, he says peanut eaters don't know how to relax. Well, excuse me, Miss Lily, but it wouldn't hurt you none to sort of, well, rest up. Mm, don't I know it. Oh, now, honey, couldn't you stay in this afternoon? Lord Granville probably has something planned. But working six nights a week at the club and never in a single day? Well, if Mr. Pete was here, he'd sure put a stop to it, he would. Never mind, Dora. Yes, ma'am. I'll answer it. Yes, ma'am. Hello. Hello, Gray. Right on the hour. That's right. Well? No kiss? What's the matter, Lily? I'm tired, that's all. Gray, you haven't anything arranged for this afternoon, have you? Oh, nothing much. Just tea at the Clydes. You'll have to know them sooner or later. I have to know them. How many more hundreds of people must I meet before? Before what? Oh, nothing. I had no idea my friends were annoying to you. Great, listen, we'll have to decide something right now. I came to England because I loved you, and because I thought that you still loved me. But something's wrong. Something. Have you ever forgiven me for what happened in America? I told you I was as much to blame as you. Then why can't we be satisfied with each other? Why do you insist that we spend day and night putting ourselves on display? Is that the only thrill you get out of being with me? Oh, I've been selfish, I know, but... Why don't you take a week from the nightclub? It could be arranged. And you remember that little inn, Hugo's? We could spend a week there. A week at the inn? Then what? Well, uh... Back to London, as though we had never been away, is that it? Well, Lily, you make it sound so... so... Shall I answer it? Lily. Yes? Who? Photographers from the American Syndicate? Photographers? Give me that phone. Lily, you don't want... Hello. Hello, send them right up. But we don't want to see them here. I'll handle this. You just entertain them until I'm ready. But this isn't exactly the place. Lily, Lily, come out here. Lily, listen to me. You wanted to show the world, didn't you? All right, we will. Lily, come out. All right, come on. How do you do, Mr. David? How do you do, sir? Yeah. Set up the cameras, boys. Where's my flashbulb? Why, gentlemen, what... We're the photographers, Lord Granville. I'll get one here first, a fireplace shot. What's the meaning of this? These... Uh, we have to be prepared, you know. In case of a surprise wedding, our papers will already have honeymoon pictures. <laughs> well, haven't I anything to say about that? Well, sure you have. Lily. You can make your statement after I make mine. What are you doing with that drip? Get your cameras ready, boys. Oh, heaven's oh, sake, Lily. So you've been playing around with a celebrity. Okay, I'll show you how this celebrity racket has really worked. The way Pete taught me. No matter what you do, surprise them. Lily, don't. I'll admit I was wrong. You bet you were. Boys, the whole thing's off. What? I'm walking out. Yeah, here's a swell picture for you. Grip in hand by the open door. Come on, snap it. Hold it, hold it. <laughs> That's Thank it. You, Lily, wait. Tell your papers I'm going home to sit on a bench and eat popcorn. What else? Maybe he'll show up, maybe he won't. But if he does, I'm going to sit back and watch the world go by with the greatest mug on earth.
Are you sure you didn't see a man here? He'd, he'd be waiting right at this bench. Oh, well, listen, lady. I've seen lots of men here. Right upstairs, the public library. Men go in and out all the day and half the night. I can't remember all of them. Now, go away and let me sleep. Listen, he's tall, see? About that high with big feet and a bag of popcorn. Oh, now, try to think. You know, there's something funny about this bench. It's haunted by crackpots. Oh, well, I'll go away. No, I won't. I've got as much right here as you. What time is it, do you know? I said, what time is it? Hello, Lily. <gasps> oh, Pete. I, I tried to catch you at the boat, but I missed it. Oh. Here, you little swell. Oh, Pete, I'm so glad to see you. If you ever get away from me again. Say, what goes on here? Oh, I don't know. All the way across the Atlantic, and I find that on our bench. <sighs> oh, I know him. Huh? Hey, you, wake up. Uh, you remember uh, me? Oh, yeah. I want you to meet the girlfriend, Lily Davis. Lily Davis. Boo. Oh, oh, let me out of here. <laughs> let me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got some popcorn. Oh, I see. You want to sit down? All right. Have some, Lily? Thanks. Ah, you know, this is what I call living. Yes, they're just sitting tight and watching the world go by. Is that all? Oh, what else is there? Can't you guess? Yeah, but I'm afraid to say it. Oh, you old mug. Take off your shoes and kiss me. From Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray, we'll hear again a little later. Our hero tonight was a newspaper man. So I thought I'd ask one of the most famous reporters in the world, Mr. Linton Wells, to be our guest. His record reads like a page of Richard Harding Davis fiction. During 20 years in foreign fields, he's been war correspondent in Mexico, China, Asia Minor, Siberia, Morocco, Syria, Nicaragua, and more recently, Ethiopia. He was a lieutenant in the Chinese Army and a major in the Mexican Army, a colonel in the Nicaraguan Air Forces, and holds decorations from 12 foreign governments. He's in Hollywood now, completing his autobiography, Blood on the Moon, and recuperating from wounds and illness acquired in Ethiopia by a correspondent for the New York Herald Tribune. Ladies and gentlemen, Linton Wells. Thank you, Mr. DeMille. You know, the last time I encountered you and Claudette Colbert was in Cairo, Egypt. Indirectly, of course. There in the shadow of the pyramids, I went to the movies and saw your production of Cleopatra. <laughs> Tell me the worst. What did the Egyptians think of the way I handled their history? Well, I heard a couple of dark-skinned natives wishing Cleopatra were running Egypt again, Colbert fashion. You know, e Egypt's certainly movie-conscious. In Cairo, all society turns out one night each week and goes to the cinema. It's a ceremonial occasion with a display of evening dress and jewelry rivaling an opening of the Metropolitan Opera. Well, you've seen pictures in about every corner in the world, Linton. How do other countries like Hollywood? Well, the stars, Charlie Chaplin, being human in any language, is most universally beloved. I've seen his antics roared at by the nose-pierced savages of the Belgian Congo, by Chinese and the Indians of the Peruvian Andes. Next in line, there's Mickey Mouse. Just as popular in Brazil, Manchu Kuo, and Finland as he is here. All the world loves American musicals. 
And believe me, there's nothing so strange as hearing a native singing a hot shot tune in the depths of fever-ridden jungle. But I've heard it. In French East Africa, you go to the movies in the open air and are bitten to death by mosquitoes or drenched by a sudden torrent of rain. A huge native who ran a projection machine there wore a charm given him by the local medicine man as a guarantee to prevent the film from breaking. And in Japan, where most kissing sequences are cut out, the picture is explained by an interlocutor as the mood strikes him. I read your war dispatches from Ethiopia and noticed you occasionally had time to see a movie. Yes, in Addis Ababa, there were three ramshackle theaters infested with fleas and ancient pictures. <laughs> the natives were enthusiastic over American films, though, and I saw them roll in the aisles of the Laurel and Hardy comedy while their friends were fighting only a few miles away. By the way, my wife, who's also a reporter for the Herald Tribune, went with me to Ethiopia and insisted on taking her case of Lux toilet soap along. Thoughtful woman. <laughs> That's what we figured out until we got there. You can believe this or not, Mr. DeMille, but after bringing that soap from New York to Egypt, from Egypt to French Somaliland, and then 500 miles inland by rail at 14 cents a pound, after worrying about carriers and customs collectors, I saw five different shops in Addis Ababa selling Lux toilet soap and charging much less for it than I paid for transportation costs alone. And I said then what I'm saying now. Good night. <laughs> Good night, gentlemen. Since starring on the Lux Radio Theater last summer, Claudette Colbert has observed her first wedding anniversary with Dr. Joel Pressman, established a lovely new home in Brentwood, and made what will undoubtedly prove another hit film, Made of Salem. Fred McMurray, not to be outdone, has completed Champagne Waltz, is co-starring in Made of Salem, and has taken to himself a wife. But from this point on, they'll have to report for themselves. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray. Mr. DeMille, after nearly an hour on the air, I'm afraid I'm all talked out. However, I do want to thank you again for the top productions you give us every Monday night. And before I go, just a word of praise for the product responsible for this program. I could say many fine things about it, but the best indication of what I think of Lux Toilet Soap is the fact that I've used nothing else for years. All right, Fred, your turn. Thanks, Claudette. Uh, in hopes of being neatly left out of this, Mr. DeMille... <laughs> You and Claudette know me well enough to realize that I'm not one to get up in front of the microphone and make clever speeches. Well, then don't say anything. Oh, thanks. That suits me fine. Just a minute, just a minute. Don't go, either. <laughs> I've heard a lot of music coming from the sets of your two pictures, Made of Salem and Champagne Waltz. Since you'd rather not talk, suppose you sing. <laughs> I thought you were a friend of mine. Well, since I'm on a spot, I'll, I'll try a chorus of a tune from the picture, Champagne Waltz. The name of it is called, uh, When is a Kiss, Not a Kiss. Whenever I'm not kissing you, when my two arms are missing you, nothing means a thing I do when it's not concerning you. When is a hug not a hug? Whenever I'm not hugging you, if you'd allow me to always tag about. Then I'd have something that I could brag about When is a kiss not a kiss When I can't do my kissing with you 
Sunday. <laughs> Good night. Good night to both of you. Thank you, Miss Colbert and Mr. McMurray. This is your announcer, ladies and gentlemen, Melville Roig. The Lux Radio Theater program for next Monday night will be told shortly by Mr. DeMille. In our cast tonight were George Chandler as Eddie, C. Montague Shaw as the Duke of Loneshire, Chester Clute as the editor, John Gibson as the bum, Georgia Simmons as Dora, Lou Merrill as Nate, Frank Nelson as the man, William Royal as subway guard, Mary Arden as the woman, and Warren McCollum and Ross Forrester as newspaper reporters and newsboys. Miss Colbert, Mr. McMurray, and Mr. DeMille appeared through courtesy of Paramount Studios. Mr. Nibben through Samuel Golden. Mr. Nibben is now working in the universal picture, We Have Our Moments. And Louis Silver's 20th Century Fox, where he was in charge of music for the new film, One in a Million. And now, Mr. DeMille. To the Lux Radio Theater, next Monday night, comes one of the most accomplished actors the screen has won from the stage, Edward G. Robinson. With him, Beverly Roberts and Paul Guilfoyle. Recently returned to Hollywood from abroad, Mr. Robinson stars for us as Warden Brady in Martin Flavin's tense melodrama, Criminal Code. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Edward G. Robinson, Paul Guilfoyle, and Beverly Roberts in Criminal Code. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. Well, wasn't that a nice story? I, I get I get so starry-eyed when I listen to old movies like that. Thank goodness for um, Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> uh, but, you know... Uh, I mean, just Cecil B. DeMille himself, I mean, is huge. I mean, he directed Ten Commandments yeah, and then her. He, he had a, whole a bunch big of career. But... Yeah. But even more prominent is David Niven's uh, acting because, I mean, I loved him in the James Bond uh, spoof Casino Royale. I never was a James Bond fan, but... Well, I mean, it was a, it, it was more of a comedy than anything else. Um, it was released in 67, sort of like a James Bond spoof. Um a parody, sort of. And uh, that was back in the days before um, Mel Brooks and uh, um, Blake Edwards. Yeah, that was way back before. <laughs> but, you know, the thing, I mean, there's just n nothing like pictures and radio shows from that from that era i mean i just wow i mean speaking Wait. of that era I, one thing i wanted to say be, uh in the 21st precinct they reported a population of new york as f uh, just over 500,000 <laughs> you know it's more than that grown yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, new york city is 8.8 .8 million and even if they're talking about Manhattan alone, I mean, that's 1.2 million. 
Yeah, but what did you think of the love story itself? I mean, I thought it was interesting, except I have to say, I was kind of hoping she'd end up with David Niven. Charles Gray. Well, I don't know. I was torn. I guess, I guess me and old Fred, we've been, uh, we've been friends for ever since I was a little bitty girl. But yeah, I was kind of hoping she'd be with David Niven too. But then I was hoping she'd be with Fred. And uh-huh. I was wondering when they were all going to quit lying to each other. And But you know, women and men, they've been l- loving and lying for centuries. And I guess it'll go on for more centuries. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Oh, uh, but anyway, last but not least... Our next uh, production is a comedy. We thought we'd end it kind of on a happy note. And um, this, these guys are crazy. It's uh, uh, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. And the one I picked for this afternoon to, to play is one that's really popular. Everybody... Everybody loves this one, even if they don't love anymore. And I'm not a ball fan, and I love this one, too. But it's uh, who's on first? Here we go. Well, Costello, I'm going to New York with you. You know, Bucky Harris, the Yanks manager, gave me a job as coach for as long as you're on the team. Look, have it. If you're the coach, you must know all the players. I certainly do. Well, you know, I, mean, I never met the guys, so you'll have to tell me their names, and then I'll know who's playing on the team. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you their names, but you know, strange it may seem, they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Any funny names? Strange names, pet names, like Dizzy Dean and... His brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their French cousin. French? Gouffet. Gouffet Dean. Oh, I see. Well, let's see. We have on the bags, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find I out. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You're going to be the coach, too? Yes. And you know the fellow's name? Oh, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell That's me. That's it. That's who? Yes. <laughs> Look, you got a first baseman. Certainly. Who's playing first? That's right. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is the fellow's name on first base. Who? The guy that gets the That's money. That's it. Who gets the money on he first base? He does. Every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's what? Yes. <laughs> With that. Look, what I want to know is when you sign up the first baseman, how does he sign his name to the Who? contract? The guy. Who? How does he sign his That's name? That's how he signs it. Who? Yes. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, things are playing for I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy, buddy. I'm only asking you who's the guy on first base? That's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Oh, he's on third. We're not talking about him. Now, (laughs) Now, how did I get on third base? Why, you mentioned his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? What's on first? What's on second? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. Now, who's playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? What am I putting on third? Oh, what is on second? You know what? Who on second? Who is on first? I don't know. Third, third base? base. <laughs> Look, you got an outfield? Sure. Now, let's feel his name. Why? I just thought I'd ask. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Now, tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? I'm not. Stay out of the infield. <laughs> I want to know 
what's the guy's name in left field? No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on who's second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> and the left fielder's name? Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. <laughs> look, look, look. You got a pitcher on a team? Sure. The pitcher's name? Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, then man. go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow? You're going to tell me who's pitching. Now, listen. Who is not pitching? I'll who break is... your arm, you say. Who's on first? <laughs> I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. Now, the catcher? Certainly. The catcher's name? Today. Today. And tomorrow's pitcher. Now you've got it. All we got is a couple of days on the team. You know, I'm a catcher, too. So they tell me. I get behind the plate, do some fancy catching. Tomorrow's pitching on my team, and a heavy hitter gets up. Yes. Now, the heavy hitter bunched the ball. When he bunched the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out of first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. That's all you have to do. Just to throw the ball at first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. <laughs> Throw the ball to first base. Somebody's got to get it. Now, who has it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. Naturally? Naturally. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, you don't. You throw the ball in a hole. Naturally. That's the... That's what I say. You're not saying that. I throw the ball to naturally. You throw it to who? Naturally. That's it. That's what I said. Listen, you ask me. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. Now, you ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's it. Same as you. <laughs> don't change your life. Same as you. Ahead, I throw the ball to who? Whoever it is drops the ball and the guy runs a second. Yes. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to? I don't know. I don't know. Throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Yes. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caught. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't give a darn. What? I said I don't give a darn. Oh, that's our shortstop. I'm in it. Come on. <laughs> I love those guys. I mean, uh, I, I love the old vaudeville stuff, too. And, and I think those guys might have been in that as well. But um, anyway, um, this ends it for today's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And um, I hope you'll join me next week. And because I have... Um, so far, I have a couple of westerns. I have um, a, a children's story and a thriller. So um, that ought to pique your curiosity. So anyway, just remember um, to like us or uh, follow us or whatever it is you do. Um, find us on your favorite podcasts anywhere. And... We look forward to seeing you next week. Victor? I'm ending it. <laughs>